Today, for episode number 16, I spoke to Fairchild's Career Assistance Advisor, Master Sergeant Erica Nordham. I met Erica during my first month here while organizing the Air Power Leadership Academy. Our command chief suggested that I get in contact with her, but I didn't want to include her at first because I assumed that the Career Assistance Advisor would try to make the program into something too professional or require more organization than I believed to be necessary. I quickly realized I was dumb for making that assumption, and Erica has proved to be one of the best decisions for the program. She is an expert in networking and knows a majority of the airmen on base, which is a surprise because when she was in college, you never would have thought she would have had that influence or networking. We talk about the influence she's had on her airman's career, her own podcast, Refuel Team Fairchild, and a variety of other topics to include the Air Power Leadership Academy, of course. So today for Have a Tai Shoe podcast, man, I have done so many of these. I don't number 16 is what you are. I had oh, to look awesome. up to see where Goose was at. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Number 16. I've got Erica Nordham. She's a Master Sergeant Career Assistance Advisor for Fairchild Air Force Base. Uh, we talked about doing this maybe a month ago, a month and a half ago or so during ALA. Sounds about right. Yeah. So I'm really glad you finally decided to join or found the time. Sorry, I guess it's also my part that you haven't made it out here yet. But thank you for joining me. And to start, um, tell us about yourself. I'm Erica Northam. Uh, I've been in the Air Force for about 17 years. You want basically that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, just basic stuff. Originally from Juneau, Alaska. I lived there for 18 years. Then I went to Eugene, Oregon after graduating high school. And I was going to college, and college kind of sucked. So <laughs> I ended up actually being tried recruited, uh, trying to be recruited by the Army. Okay. Growing up in Alaska, all we have is Coast Guard. So I didn't really understand how the military works. And one day I get this voicemail on my phone. Uh, this is Sergeant Martin, and I need you to call me back from the U.S. Army. I was like, Whoa, what did I do? I've never been in any trouble. I don't know how this works. Yeah. So I call him back. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm just trying to recruit you, blah, 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 blah. My mom's like, absolutely not. He's like, well, I'll come to you, and let me just kind of tell you about all the great opportunities we have. So a lot of great opportunities, but my mom said no Marines and no Army. Mm. So that left me Coast Guard, Navy, and Air Force. And growing up in Juneau, the only way out is by boat or plane. Uh-huh. And I I don't like being on long boat trips. So I can't imagine being on a boat for six months or however long Coast Guard people are on boats. Yeah. So Air Force it was. And that and I hear. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to Milton Hall twice, uh, working on the MH-53s a long time ago in the back shop, working on the forward-looking infrared systems. And I went postal at Ramstein for two years. I think you were there too, right? But not the same time. Spang Dalem. Yeah. I was at Ramstein in 2007 to 2009. Then I went back to Milton Hall for five years working mm-hmm. on the KC-135 and then also running debrief. And then I got picked up to go to McDill Air Force Base to be a field training detachment instructor, basically training to train maintainers to be more better. Huh. And then I got the amazing chance to go to Pease, which is up in New Hampshire, a little guard base where we just have an active duty attachment, basically. Mm-hmm. And I was there for almost a year, and then they decided that the KC-46 wasn't going to be as far along as they thought it would, so they kicked all the active duty out. And seven out of the eight of us from Avionics Shop all came to Fairchild, so I followed them all here. Where'd the other one go? The other one got out. Okay. He didn't want to stay in. He was originally going to be a guardsman up at New Hampshire, and then he ended up getting a job with the FAA over in Baltimore, I think. Baltimore, D.C. So he works out there now. 
Well, a lot of my friends and people that listen to this also got out to do FAA stuff. So, oh, nice. You know, we have that in common. Uh, a lot of things you said there that I want to talk about first uh, is going to be about your college experience, why oh, you didn't like it. Because sure. I could just, I always kind of regret, I wouldn't say regretted, but joining at 18, I was like, man, you know, you couldn't drink for three years or the punishment was huge if you got caught. Yeah. So I just didn't drink for three years. And now, like, so at least then I would always think, man, maybe I should have like went to college first and then the officer route would have been an option or just in general having that, that lifestyle seemed pretty cool. What did you not like about college? I didn't like school growing up at all. And my mom was a teacher and my dad was a teacher for a little bit too. So school just felt like something you were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And so I tried and I was absolutely miserable. I was going to community college and at that location, pretty much everyone that goes to the college has friends from around the area. Yep. And you don't live on this campus either. So I was just kind of completely isolated. I was very introverted back when I was a little kid or even a young adult. So I never really went out of my way to make any friends. I think I had like two that I finally made. And one kind of forced herself upon me to be my friend, which I'm very, very thankful for in hindsight. Um, But I just never liked going to school. I didn't like doing the homework. If I couldn't finish it during class growing up, I wasn't going to do it as homework. Mm -hmm. So I have no no idea how I graduated with honors in high school. Like my gym teacher, who I TA'd for a bunch, she like was yelling my name looking for me the day of graduation, and I did not find her in time. And she, after, she's like, you little shit, why didn't you come get your, your little tassel? Like, I didn't think I graduated with honors. I didn't try. And she's like, well, you should have had it on. Here you go. And she threw it at me. Do you still have that tassel? I do, yep. somewhere. I've moved, so, much like you, I've moved so many times yeah. that I don't know where or what box it's in anymore. It's weird how humans, we just keep these like little random items and they're special to us. Like, just like that. It's a tassel. <laughs> but right. I would keep it too if I had it. Yeah. You didn't get any tassels for? I have one that says, you know, 08, just like the year I graduated. Okay. But outside of that, no, I didn't have anything special. Okay. I have a letter, actually. You can see right there, the W. Oh, okay. Yeah, And the K. Yeah, yeah. K. <laughs> yeah, and I saw your, your graduation yeah. for college too, which is good. It is good. So you did end up finishing college recently, didn't you? I get finished my bachelor's in 2019. Mm-hmm. I finally... You have to, if you're an AETC, basically as an instructor, you have to finish your CCAF if you don't already have it, and you have a year to do it. Okay. So I did not have my CCAF done. Salty maintainer, didn't want to do maintenance. When I first came in, it was basically you had to be a good, good at your job, first and foremost. Then you could either volunteer or you could do school. So I did a lot of volunteering. Okay. I don't know how many. I probably had a 1,000 hours the first couple years I was in. I coached the Lake and Heath varsity soccer team i was the assistant coach that year oh, nice. so i got to travel with them and i got to just like the high school yeah the royals or what, what that's the ramstein royals. Uh, what, uh, what are they the royals is ramstein yeah. or the ramp no the i went to Wiesbaden high school in lake and heath we, we would lose a lot just because the air force bases were so big and had so many students that they just numbers wise they were better yeah i don't even remember lake and heath eagles maybe that yeah sound i right. wouldn't be able to confirm or deny it but they're going to hate Google. me for not remembering. I know their <laughs> colors are red and white. Okay, that's good enough. <laughs> um, yeah, so what college did you go to in Oregon? Lane Community College. Okay. Yeah, and surprisingly enough, when I was at McDill, I found another person. She was the, the med tech okay. that takes your vitals and stuff before you get seen by the PCM. Somehow we found out we both went to Lane, which is really, really weird. Yeah, I've never heard of that really school. really small, yeah. Oh, I assumed University of Oregon when you said Eugene. That That is the big school there, and yeah. then... LCC is a school that some people will go to to then go to okay. Oregon or University of Oregon, save them a little bit of money. So this person you met in Oregon, in Lang, um, 
you said your friend that they forced their friendship on you. Oh yeah. Who is this person? Her name is Sum- Summer Stefano. Summer Stefano. So and she's actually in a band. Oh. And I can uh, bodies be rivers. Okay. So very. I don't know the right genre. Kind of folkish, kind of just mellow. It's pretty good though. You should give oh. it a listen sometime. Yeah. If uh, I think YouTube would like I heard. When I was reading the things, you can't just play music or they can like take your video down, but I'd be yeah. tempted to just play the music. Right? We should have asked her ahead of time for the rights. It would have been a whole new process and things I would have learned. And she probably would have said yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think that's cool what she did, um, forcing her friendship on you. I feel like I try to do that sometimes and it usually works. Like if you just like commit yourself, to, like you're go- this person's going to like me and be my friend, it's probably going to work out because most people don't do that or take effort. True. Um, so what was it that she did that forced her friendship on you? And what do you think it was about you that she wanted to do that? I'm not sure why. Uh, we did end up sitting right next to each other in this botany class because I didn't want to kill any animals or dissect any uh-huh. animals. So plant Dance. class was the best way to go for me. And she sat down right next to me, and it was me, another older woman, again, community college. And I don't even remember who was sitting across from me. But she just turned around one day and she said the, the most random thing. And I kind of just looked at her like, Are you ta- you're talking to me? Like, I, I don't know how to answer this. And we would be forced to work with each other since we were sitting right next to mm-hmm. each other. And then one day I, we were looking at a piece of thread through the microscope. And I wanted to say it looked um, old and basically plasticky, but it came out plasticized. And she said, did you just make up a word? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's a word. It's like, it is now. Kind of like ductility, right? Yeah, I remember that one. Always making up words, I guess. What's but, well, I, that's not a made-up word, but plasticize, I think, is. I think so, too. What was ductility? Duck? I can't even say ductility? it. Ductility? What is it a synonym for? So the ductility is next to flexibility. Okay. There's a wor- way to describe flexibility, and, of course, flexibility is a way to d- describe resiliency. Yep. So I get very tired of hearing certain words. Yep. And I think, if nothing else, it forces people to kind of wonder what the heck I just said and then they can Google it. Uh-huh. Or I th- I can't remember where I said it last, but again, people are like, yeah, let's, maybe we'll use that. I'm sure they won't because it takes effort to remember new words. Yeah. But yeah, I already forgot it. Duct- <laughs> Ductility. 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 Yeah. I, uh, I remember saying the word buy in a few times in like one day and you're like, I don't like that word. And I was like, oh, no, I don't like it either. But uh, what other word? There's no synonym for that. I haven't found one yet for that one either, but it's, I get what, what we want, but the buy-in to me from a consumer and a seller aspect just feels like all I want is however however I can just get get what I need from you okay. versus I want to create an environment where you want to be here or you have a reason that you want to come back, not just I have a product that you need mm-hmm. and you just, you just want it, yeah, if that I, makes sense. It does make sense. I feel like you know, just being a leadership podcast and stuff like that, getting buy-in, we, there's new, new, there's not a new word for it, so we're going to just use that, overuse that word for the next hour or however long we talk for. But getting that is extremely difficult. Um, anytime you start something new, I feel like I, you really have to put in effort on how are we going to get buy-in from people. Yes. Like you have to put thought into it. You have to have a plan or it's just not going to work. Um, yeah. I, I feel like it's just so difficult to get that a lot of people just – hope it happens and don't try yeah do you agree with that yeah um listening to chief guzman and colonel bentley during my podcast with mm-hmm. them on refuel team fairchild they talk about apathy a lot yeah. and it's so hard for whatever reason and i don't think it's just a generational thing i think people just 
don't want to do things that take more time, for lack of better words. If it's going to be out of my duty hours or if it's not something I can do during my duty hours or get out of work to go do, they don't want to do it anymore. So it was really cool, actually. Airman Carpio, who I think is somewhere in the first four council, I thought he was president, but I don't know if he is or not, but they did the dorm Christmas party Mm -hmm. over last week. Praying people would show up. And it was a really good turnout. Not nice. as good as the Thanksgiving one because it was very last minute. But there had to have been a good 40 people in there. Like, there probably should not have been that many people in that little room with COVID going on. But it was just great to see people turn out. Yeah. That is really cool. Hmm. One, there's things you said there, but I don't want to forget about this one. Uh, one thing you said when you started maintenance 17 years ago, after you got good at your job, then you could volunteer or go to school. Sure. Right? And you said... I think I forget your exact words, and, and if I'm taking it out of context, that's fine. But you said, uh, like, when you joined, that's what it was. Would you say that's not how it is anymore? Air Force wants really well-rounded people, mm-hmm. so you have to do a little bit of everything. The new yep. game is you have to do everything, include being good at your job. We expect you to be good at your job, but we also need to see that you're trying to improve yourself, and we want to see how you're improving other people. Yep. So I don't think you can get away with just doing one or the other anymore. And we're forcing that idea on very young airmen that yes. you can't just do your job. Yes. And that's what's the most important thing for them to learn. So I also have made that observation. Not a big fan of it. I know a lot of my coworkers here aren't a big fan of it, very outspoken about it. And some are opposite. Some are like, no, they need they need to start doing other things. So it's crazy how there's just like, a, it's pretty diverse on how uh, how people think about that. And so really it's kind of up to each airman just to decide who which senior NCO or NCO to follow. Yeah. And that in itself would be really stressful because I knew when I was an airman, I wanted to try to do right by every NCO or senior NCO and to have to try to pick and choose which one to follow. Seems pretty stressful. Like a lot of pressure we're putting on them unknowingly. Yeah. I think over the last, when did you join? Oh, eight. Oh, eight. So around 2012, 2013, 2014, when we had that big force, force get people out of the air force Mm. i don't think we've recovered and i know hearing from my predecessors that this is not the first time this has happened but i feel like this is the first time we haven't recovered or at least that's what it really feels like because growing up i always had as a a1c i had senior airman staff sergeant everything above that i knew they knew what the heck they were doing and they could do it really really well and now i look at airmen and i look at their role models and it's not for lack of trying but we are forcing them to do all this stuff and promote so quickly because we're trying to fill that middle gap, that yep. seasoned staff sergeant, tech sergeant role, that they don't know what they're doing. Uh, not for not trying, just they don't have the experience that a lot of people had when I was growing up. So you knew that the staff sergeant, the senior airman, could take care of you. And if you go out to the line, you're going to be fine. You may mess up, but they know what they're doing and they're going to catch it. Now I don't know if that always happens. Yeah. And it's I think that's in every job. But we feel it in a lot of jobs where we just don't have the manning and I just don't know how to fix that. Again, that buy-in, how do we make people want to stay in? Not just for money, but because they like what they do. And I don't know how to do that yet. Yeah. I feel like our conversation can go down so many avenues and roads on things to talk about because I agree that I have that same perception for people who joined after me. But then I have to think like, are they really that much different than I was when I was that younger at that point? Or is it just now that I'm at year 12 or 13 
that when I see someone at year six, they don't know what I don't, what I know right now. Why don't they know that? And like our own egos is what's making us think that they're just not as competent or good as we were. Does that make any sense? It does. I just, I, and we've been, we talked about it somewhere earlier in the week that it feels like the average time for a master sergeant now is about 12 to 13 years. That sounds right. Yeah. And when I grew up, I don't know how old it was, but I didn't make it till I was at 16 years. And I told that to Senior Master Sergeant Godbolt, who just recently retired, and she looked at me and she said, oh, that's so fast. And I was like, no, that, that's not fast at all. Hmm. She's like, well, when I grew up, that was a very fast Master Sergeant. Yeah. I was like, oh. So I think we are expecting, and people want to make rank way earlier than, maybe it's not even that they want to make rank way earlier, they just are. It's it your only like, sense of validation. Yeah. Get promoted. Yeah. Otherwise, these people are better than you. To an extent. Yeah. I knew about that. And you, yeah, what you just said makes a lot of sense. A lot of the guys that I really looked up to growing up were retired civilians doing their traffic. Most of them retired as tech sergeants, okay. you know, and they did their 20 years. And so the way you put it actually makes a lot of sense that we are promoting way faster. So maybe that expectation that I said earlier is, yeah, valid. I don't, and it's not to say that young people can't be really, really efficient. I just don't think they have the experience that people older than me especially, had growing up sure. as role models. I think we're just expecting too much out of the staffs and the techs and as supervisors is doing school, volunteering, writing the EPRs, doing the ACAs, being good at their job. There's just not enough hours in the day for them to also have some somewhat of a social life mm-hmm. or if they have a family, how do they make all this fit into this much space? And I think we're expecting them to, and I don't think it's not that we didn't do that when I was Growing up, I think we just don't have as many people to rely on. That's fair. Every tasker that comes, I'm like, oh, who do I burden with this one? Right. It's never like, oh, it's this person's turn. They're not doing anything. It's who's getting their seventh serving of ice cream today. Right. <laughs> who's getting this? We can't leave till it's gone. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Something you said that I liked when you were uh, speaking about yourself is in McDill. What was it you said you did at McDill? As a field training detachment instructor, so FTD. Okay, uh, so you said you made maintainers better. I tried to. And how do we do that? We have classes for them. Uh, I taught a transition class for ComNav, and then, oh, I'm ComNav, by the way. And then we also had an advanced troubleshooting course. And then we also had this class called PO, POI, Principles of Instruction. And they teach it here at Debt 13 at Fairchild. Mm-hmm. And that's just a class where you try and teach people the basics of being an instructor. So you teach them how to talk a little bit better. You teach them some of those verbal distractors that I'm trying so hard not to do right now. You teach them how to talk with their hands, talk with their body, and how to work a room. And then also just how to counsel how to do everything, basically, a teacher would have to do, for lack of better words. Huh. I've never heard of that class. Didn't know they teach it here. How often do they do it? I think they try to do it at least quarterly. Okay. But it's a really good class. That was my favorite class to teach when I was a field training detachment instructor. I'm just going to start saying FTD now. I think okay. I said yeah. that enough times. But then we also took those courses for the five levels and the seven levels, and we gave them chances to do troubleshooting that wasn't on the jet, and then also for the airmen that maybe. PCS in from another aircraft. They came from the KC-10 or eventually the 46. Teach them the basics just at a slower rate instead of, hey, this is what's broke on the line today. We're going to teach you how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Here's here's how you do the obstructs for everything at a more slow pace and just a controlled environment. So it was mostly maintainer-based stuff, not like just 
Correct. Okay. And then we had a couple classes that anyone could come to. And we had civilians, we had guardsmen, reservists. I don't think we ever had anyone from other branches come through, but just all sorts of people, all different AFSCs. It was awesome. What nonverbal distractors have I given off in the first 20 minutes? You've done really good. And actually, when I had to edit our podcast, it wasn't that bad when you would speak. Okay. What kind of things are distractors? A lot of uhs, ums. I've caught myself a couple of times. So's, right, you know... You edit those out? Yes. Wow. So if you hear podcasts that I do, I leave some so it sounds natural and I get tired of editing to an extent. Yeah. And sometimes I don't know how your stuff looks when you go in and edit it, but you can kind of see the the lines and bars of what people are saying. And sometimes they slur it together so perfectly, I can't tell where it stops. Okay. So without them sounding completely robotic, I just have to leave some of them in. But I usually leave all of mine in. One, because I'm human. Two, because I don't say them as much as some people. And so the handful I do say, I keep keep in. It yeah. makes me human. I can't sound perfect. Yeah, I'm not I'm, perfect. I'm going to start editing out all of mine, but leaving in everyone there else's. There you go. <laughs> Just so I sound really confident and smart. I had Quint, uh, my old NCYC, edit one for me, and he took out everything. He's like, Quint, why'd you do that? I told you to leave some in. I don't know. I just wanted to sound good. I was like, but nobody sounds that good when they talk. He's like, oh, yeah. I didn't Quinn think does. About that. <laughs> now he does. He's actually very good at his nonverbals yeah. or his verbals, too. I almost want to take this class just to learn stuff like that, like Should. hand gestures. I, I actually, once you said it, I was like, well, you're doing those. I should start doing that. Let me get my <laughs> hands up here. I just don't know what to do anymore. Yeah. And I had an Intel student come through my class, and he wouldn't move, and he would just stand there. He's really good at looking at the audience and on the PowerPoint and then coming back, but he wouldn't move. So like, Tijuana, you got to move. It's like, well, when Intel, we just have to stand there. We don't do anything. We don't play with our hands. We don't move our hands. We just stand there and we brief. If maybe we point at the board and then our hands come back down to our side. Like, well, in this class, you have to move around or I won't give you full credit. Like, okay. <laughs> All right. so I make them move around the room and just practice. Cause again, we're human and if you stand completely still, you're probably going to creep out or bore most of your audience. Mm-hmm. So if you can make it natural and you can make it fluid, it helps with the conversation too sometimes. No, that makes perfect sense. And I, like I said, if that is, if you said this earlier that some airmen will only do things if they get out of work. And in my career field, it's people try to avoid getting out of work because then you're burdening everyone else. I've noticed. Right. Yeah. And that's on my list of things to talk to you about or just air traffic airmen in general. So it's kind of like, I would love to do that class, but then just asking to leave work for two days or how long that course is? Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, Like that's a huge ask. And stuff like that is like what makes going out and being a better airman difficult is just based on the culture of your career field. True. Would most, could flight line maintainers just be like, hey, I'm going to go take this two week PD class. It's designed, I mean, it's not designed for them, but in order to be a maintenance MQTP, maintenance quality, no, maintenance qualification training program instructor. So the ones that are within MXG, they have to go through that class before they're supposed to start teaching. Uh, It's also available for the, not Seaburn, but the self-aid buddy care, TCC, whatever it's called now, and CPR class. They're supposed to go through those classes. Okay, but so they have to, like it's built in, you have to do this to advance. It's not just optional. They have to if they're going to be an instructor. So if they're going to be part of that elite group in MXG, they have to go through that class. The one here at Fairchild? Or at whatever AMC base. I okay. don't know if ACC does it as well, but a AMC definitely does. 
Oh, yeah. I'm going to look into that, and I want you to call out my nonverbal. So when we did ALA class together, she was also ALA cadre, I remember you saying something like you taught a class, and I was like, you know, we're about to teach a class, and I was like almost too stressed to like have a conversation. I was like, hold <laughs> on. <laughs> so now that you brought this, you said that, I was like, you've actually told me this before. I just didn't inquire about it. But that makes sense because I remember saying like, I know I made this Word doc. I think I know what to say and cut in whenever you need because I know I made this and I didn't really share it with you too far in advance. And you're like, I'll be fine. Like I taught this class and I was like, okay. (laughs) And you, you did do fine. At least I think you did. So yeah, that you can, I guess, attribute that to that class potentially. Yeah. I was very, very introverted and I still technically am an introvert. Um, I think Miss Altmeyer says it best in certain jobs. You have to be extroverted so we give everything we have throughout the day, and then I go home and I sleep, especially on the weekends. I'll just go home and sleep because I'm getting all my strength back to do it all again the next week. And I totally forgot what you were talking about. <laughs> I do that all the time. <laughs> I wish you did more nonverbal so I could call you out and leave them in there. <laughs> this is her 18th nonverbal. <laughs> I've had a couple of ums. I've caught myself. Cool. So what did you think about ALA? You were one of the first cadre. You made it through. You put together the graduation and helped <laughs> teach the first class. How was your experience with it? I enjoyed it. It was really cool because I think I told you before we started, I recognized probably eight out of the 16 students that I had worked with in various different things. Emmy is one of my Airmanship 300 teachers or instructors. Oh, okay. Sergeant Davenport, Jessica. She was actually my F before, before I had an NCYC, she kind of helped got me get me my mentors in FTAC. I met Amanda because I accidentally called her Rachel at a PT test. She's like, I look like a Rachel too. That's a pretty common Which name. Which Amanda? Uh, other cool Amanda. So WSA Chaplain Amanda. Okay, Wilson. Or, yeah, <laughs> Wilson. I and never then, knew which Amanda was which. Like cooler, cooler. Cool, I didn't know Cool that. Amanda is Amanda Sellers because they dubbed her that. And then other cool Amanda is Amanda Wilson. Okay. And then I had met Olivia a handful of times. She was at the AFSA convention. Connor came through one of my classes, my NCOPE class. So I had met a handful of these guys. It was really cool. And I knew Sailor from the D-Wigs. So I got to know them better. And I also got to meet a bunch. And then I knew most of the maintainers already. Jeff and Jared and Dino, Dylan. And then I didn't know Landon. So that was cool to meet him. Okay. He was one of the, I liked him a lot. He was very outspoken. Yes. Very crew chief-like. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Very brash. But everything he said, I mean, he never said anything to try and offend anybody. Or to make it awkward, he was just telling people how his experiences had been. Mm -hmm. Uh, But ALA was great. It was really cool because I love, now that I know Goose, and I got to meet Anthony, and then Bobby, and then I already knew Scott. I always want to call him Doug for some reason. I guess (laughs) because his last name is Douglas. (laughs) It looks like a Doug. I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> like Doug Funny. You know you watched that cartoon? I did. I, I do. Or I did, but I don't know if he would like to be called that. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry, Scott. <laughs> it's a good character, though. All right. I Doug, Doug Funny's a really good character. Good character. Yeah. But it was really cool to meet him on a different level, too. And then, again, getting to know the students and getting to know you, because that was a fun interaction the first time we talked on the phone. I don't know if you're going to bring that up or not. Uh, we can. Yeah, sure. I don't want to <laughs> hide it. So when I... First invited Erica to be a cadre. I actually didn't invite her. Chief Guzman told me to. Uh, I don't know if he told me to. He, he strongly suggested it. He said, give her a call. I think his words were in a face-to-face meeting. So I said, okay. And I called you and I was like, hey. What I, remember, I said, like, hey, uh, I don't know why I'm calling you, but I was told to. I'm doing this thing. Just want you to know about it in case people ask. 
Yeah, you're like, I'm doing this ALA thing. I'll send you a trifold, I guess. I'm not really sure <laughs> so why I'm ca- calling you. Chief Guzman said to reach out. Do you want help with the planning or do you want me to be able to put... Oh, I think you wanted just to put it on the share drive. If I can yeah, put it in the Fairchild all, is that all you need from me? And you're like, uh, I think so. I don't I don't think I need anything else. Well, I wasn't that, I wasn't that <laughs> stuck up. <laughs> it's like, oh, why... Is it because I'm a CAA? And you're like, yeah. What What about a CAA? Like, uh, just too blue, I yeah. think, or too PME. Well, I've been an FTD instructor, but I still say all the words I'm not supposed to say and tell people what's on my mind, whether it's right or wrong, or Air Force answer or not. But if that's not the right person, it's, I, I completely understand. And I was always so busy that it would have been the end of the world if you mm-hmm. had said, nah. Yeah, I guess I'm really glad that you did inquire about doing it because had you been as uninterested or excited as I appeared to be on the phone that time, <laughs> you never would have been a part of it. So I'm really glad you didn't take that approach. I think I did, like I was stressed and I had quite a, a few oh. people being interested to where I thought I could pick and oh, choose. Cool. Uh, but yeah, that was that was it. That was just to be straightforward. You hear career assistance advisor or ALS commandant. You're like, ah, this person's going to be... Some, like they're going to be what you kind of expect, or at least that's been my experience with them thus far. And I was wrong. And I'm glad I got to learn that. Even Brad Boyning sat in a class, the ALS commandant here, and even he seemed pretty cool. <laughs> Very chill. Yeah. You just kind of have these preconceived ideas of positions in the military. Yeah. I think you would have liked Sergeant Staten before him too. Who's that? She was the commandant right before Brad took okay, over. Okay. Yeah. I met her at the tower. You brought her by, right? Oh yeah. 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 I think you would have liked her too. Yeah, she gave me a great first impression, so <laughs> I need to, yeah. You know what sucks? My favorite book ever is Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and it basically just says, like, always be excited to talk to people. They'll know if you're not. You have nothing to lose by just being positive, positive. and I completely didn't do that with you, and it worked out, so maybe <laughs> I need to pick a new favorite book. Uh, I think I think you challenged it, too, whether you meant to or not, by telling me that the position I was in was the reason you wouldn't think I would be a good fit, and that kind of made me go, wait, wait. Is it because what about the job makes you think that CAs wouldn't be good at it or I wouldn't be good at it in general? So it was a little bit of a challenge, I think. It was. And I think because you (laughs) said it made me think, well, why do I think that? Because I also probably would have thought that about first sergeants, you know, but then I quickly realized that once I became a senior NCO, wow, first sergeants are pretty cool people. Yeah. But as a NCO, I didn't really think that. They have that really crappy job sometimes Mm -hmm. where people come to them with their problems and as they mentioned people sometimes just forget to follow up with their successes so they're the ones that have to be the bearer of bad news they're the ones that have to pick you up in jail they're the ones who have to take you to the interrogation room they're the ones that have to come knock on your door when you fail a room inspection or when your airman's in trouble as an nco so they kind of get the brunt of negativity and it's not as often where people come back and say hey I know I got that DUI a long time ago, but I just made staff or I just made tech or mm-hmm. master sergeant even. You ever wanted to be a first sergeant? No. Okay. Uh, I, I did when I was younger, and then I saw a tech sergeant, or was he master sergeant? He, he probably had sergeant master sergeant on by then at Mildenhall. Master sergeant Hebert, or Hebert, I don't know which, how he pronounced it now, because we had one of each in the, the <laughs> shop. Same last name, but they pronounced it differently. I think he was just Hebert. That's difficult. Elroy. I remember his first name. That man went to the commissary one day, and he walked out with them owing him money on top of all the food he had bought. So that man was very good with his money. But I watched how it changed him 
And again, maintenance is Wait, its the own commissary piece. owed him money? Yeah. Huh. Coupon guy, huh? Yes, coupons for days. Nice. But I watched it change him, and he was just an undershirt. He'd never gone to first shirt school. But I watched how he was the bubbly, happy, want-to-help-everybody to, man, please just don't talk to me. Like, you could tell he just was wore out. And we had a lot of your family sometimes. And I just saw how run down he was. I, I don't want that. I don't want to feel like that. I like to sleep in. <laughs> I like to sleep, period. I really don't want to have to wake up at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning because someone needs something. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I want to help who I want to help. I don't want to help everyone that walks through my door just because it's my job title. Yeah. And that may sound selfish, but there are some people that I don't think have or deserve my help with certain things. If, or if I've helped them before, I don't want to help you again. I've already helped you two or three times with this. And obviously it's not sticking or you don't care enough. So I'm not going to help you this time or I don't want to help you this time. So again, kind of selfish, but it's very human to say, I think we all feel that way. Just very few of us would say it. Uh-huh. And as a shirt, it's your job to keep caring. Yes. So yes. not doing a shirt. So as a career assistance advisor, can you just kind of decide like you're, you're not coming, you're not following through. You're not doing what I tell you to, I'm not helping you. I still have to help everybody and I'm going to, but the severity of what walks through my door versus what walks through a first shirt store is completely different. Okay. Retraining, it can be the end of the world if you don't get picked up for some people or at least the end of their career because they don't want to stay in. And it sucks, and I never want to be the reason someone isn't able to, but I can only do so much. When we were at Whitworth College the other day, the Tim, Mr. Tim, I can't remember his last name, maybe Caldwell, he said something. He's like, I can only meet you halfway. And I was like, well, you know what? That's really... It, it makes sense. I can't do extra for you. I could, but I'm not going to because at what point, if you really want to return or you really want a commission, are you going to put the effort in? I can meet you halfway. I can do what I can for you and help you out, but it has to be something that you want. And I get to kind of, I, I help everybody, obviously, but the severity of of aftermath, I guess. I, I've had a couple people say, you know what, you helped me, and I got to cross-train. Or retrain, it's retrain, not cross-train, not reclass. I hear it all. Why and I still say the wrong thing. It why, all means the same thing. Why, oh, that's just like the official term is retrain? Retrain. Okay. I say reclass sometimes if they're 9 alpha, which means they have to leave their career field, mm-hmm. but it's probably still just retraining. But yeah, it's it's totally different. And then I, I still have people that'll just come talk to me, and sometimes I do have breakdowns in my office. But it's it's nothing that I have to worry about. Reporting either to an extent. I'm not yeah. a mandatory reporter. Of course, if someone tells me certain things, I am going to report it because as a and senior NCO, we have to. NCO, we have to. But if it's just someone having a real bad day or a real bad string of luck, they can tell me whatever they need to. I can close the door. We can hash it out. And that's as far as it has to go. As long as they're not going to hurt themselves or hurt somebody else, I don't have to tell anybody else unless I want to. I had one guy come in and retraining just didn't work out for him for some reason. And uh, we talked for a long time. wasn't anything we could do at that point, but at this point we were just hashing it out. And then I mentioned, you know what, if you talk to your senior, which was Senior Castleberry, he maybe can put you in as a UDM or training monitor or somewhere else, just get you out of the career field, let you rejuvenate yourself for a little bit, maybe be CSS protocol, go somewhere else for a little bit, come back and see if you're feeling better. And I, after we talked and he said he would go talk to him, I reached out to Senior. and I was like, Just so you know, Finocchio's going through all this stuff. You really wanted to retrain. It's not going to work out right now. 
But if there's anywhere else you can put him in the ladder, he's very interested in UTM. So if you have a position with Sergeant Ochoa that maybe he could go work with her for a little bit, that would be awesome. And I think within the month, a job randomly opened up on my purse, and it was because Senior had talked to somebody and they got another slot open. And that slot should have been even shown up on there because it was directly for Finocchio, but now he's a training manager. And I think he's still stationed here because I just saw him the other day, oh, or nice. earlier today. But that that stuff is kind of fun too, and that's that's kind of the rewarding stuff that I get. And it's very much like a first-year job, though, where we don't always hear the happy endings. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll come bring it back to us, and sometimes they don't. So I like to think that I'm helping more people than, than not, but... I'm sure you're not hurting <laughs> anyone. <laughs> uh, I thought I did mess up someone's chances of going overseas. I got it mixed up. I'll look at the camera for that one. I got it mixed up, and I swore I heard someone say that at the first term airman on a BOP base of preference, you could go anywhere to include overseas. Mm. So this is what I told that kid. He's like, oh, yeah, like light in yeah, his and eyes. Yeah, I'm an airman. You, the career assistance advisor, told me this. Yeah, and That's, I thought that yeah. I really, I thought I was right, and that was one thing that people just got wrong because there are myths, like maintainers mm-hmm. can't retrain. Yes, you can. Our ETP is lifted. So I thought I had this one. And I, this was a huge thing. And then I reread the reg, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And I asked everybody else, like, no, that's not true at all. Where did you come up with that? I "I swore someone told me that during the training week. But now, and I tried to find every single person I had told that to, because it was just a handful. And I saw the kid. He was working augmentee gate guard at the back gate the other day. I looked at him, and he looked at me when he saw my name. I was like, oh, yeah, you were the one trying to go overseas. And I was like, I'm so sorry I lied to you or, like, told you bad information. Like, you know what, it actually worked out because I just did extend and then I did put in for consistent overseas assignments and what you told me worked and now we're going to Lake and Heat. Oh, nice. So, no short tour, just straight to England. Yeah. Good for them. So worked thank out. goodness because I yeah. felt really bad and he was the original person I had told that to. So to find him later on just by chance, it was meant to be. Yeah. But to hear that he's going to Lake and Heath really soon. He's an ammo troop airman Harden. Okay. But very, very happy for him. I think that's something I'm really jealous of just called him out airman heart harden harden yeah is like talking to you and like all whenever i volunteer for these wing projects ala uh the amc chief visit like i can just ask him you seem to just know all these people this next set of ala class like oh i know like half of those people too and it's just like how does the caa i didn't know the caa ever until you how do you just you just know all these people are you really good at seeing someone once and then remembering their name i try really really hard to but another thing is just this job is what you make of it. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that other CAAs aren't doing a good job, but one of my friends, she's actually the CAA at Mildenhall, Lindsay Dumal. She, uh, when I was going up for my interview, cause I told her, Hey, this job just opened up. That's what you're doing too. Right. She's like, yeah, you should totally put in for it. And here's what you should say during your interview. And it was stuff that totally made sense, but I just didn't think about it. She said, make sure you tell them that you're willing to go offsite on different shifts and go see the airmen on those different shifts. Like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. Shift yeah. workers, you're a shift worker too. I don't know why I wouldn't say that, but I'm glad she reminded me too. Cause I'm pretty sure that's the thing that really won me over was all the stuff I was willing to do, but it's literally what you're willing to put into the job. I work crazy hours. Sometimes I go to swing shift once a week, every other month. Okay. Try really, really hard. And it sucks. Cause it seems like whenever I'm going for that one week, that's when everything's happening during the day. Okay. So I either have to work really long hours or tell them, no, I'm sorry, but I've made this schedule for a long time, and I told you guys that I won't be available during this time. Mm-hmm. But it's getting out and about. I've seen every 
every unit on this base for the most part, except medical group, which I'm going to go see in January. And I still need to go see command post because I was getting you guys confused for a little bit. Sorry about that. (laughs) It's fine. Just all the, the ATC and then CC, I guess, command or CP getting them all confused. But I think those are the only two sections on this base that I haven't really gotten out and seen. I should probably go see more of OSS too, uh, AFE and maybe some of the flying squadrons, but I've worked with them being flight line. Yeah. So I've tried really, I've even seen Sear. I was out two weeks ago. On a Saturday, that first day it snowed really bad. Mm. I went out to Chihuahua, and I spent the day with the SEER instructors, and nice. they were telling people how to do stuff. I do think that was cool. I remember I had only been here for a few months, but coming up one day on the day shift, and you had a bunch of your cards sitting in in the tower <laughs> cab, and I was like, hey, what is this? And someone was like, oh, the career assistance advisor came through. I saw on, like, we have a log. And I was like, huh, that's cool. Like, she, she just came through here. Yeah. She I probably th- just wanted to see the view. <laughs> I thought about that, but I, I just, I knew it was really important to see all the different units. And I think I reached out to the SELs and Chief Karen was like, make sure you come see our guys and here's the different sections. So I saw you guys, saw Airman Ray and Airman Gunderson and Airman Wynn. And then after that, I think I went to Airfield uh, airfield Management. I got to hang out with a couple of them. Okay. So I made sure at the beginning I was hitting up different squadrons every day because I would spend about... The first half of the day out on the flight line or out on the line with whatever unit I was visiting that day. And then the second half of the day, I would go back to my office. So that way, midshifters, if they wanted to come see me, I would be available during hours that worked for them. Because I don't think I get in. I get in at 630. And my door's open by 7. But I don't think that's early enough for some shift workers, mm-hmm. services, and security forces. I think they're off at like 6 o'clock in the morning. So at least that way, they can come in right before the shift starts and come see me. Yeah. That's cool. Midshift is hard. I'm sure you've done that shift before too. A few times, yeah. My body, it could do it if it had to, but swing shift is easier on me, and I can still see everybody. I like the swing shift. I get to sleep in. It's usually pretty calm, so I'm a big swing shift guy. Oh, it's calm for you guys. Flight line. We have we have a saying for Fridays. (laughs) What is it? Are we allowed to swear? Yes. It's basically fuck me Fridays because (laughs) you know everything's gonna come down later. Super broken Uh, unless you have weekend duty full time. You want to try and get everything done so your weekend duty doesn't have to come in. Ah. So they're, it's bit, pretty much an eight Wait, like hooking four. up yourself or someone else? When you say weekend duty doesn't have to come in, is that yourself or someone else? It can be you sometimes. Ah. So you would probably be coming in for day shifts the next and like 12 hours later. But there, for maintenance, there's usually a handful of people that are on weekend duty. And it can rotate right here at Fairchild right now. They have permanent weekend duty. There's a handful of people that work. Saturday, Sunday, and then they work a regular eight-hour shift on Friday okay. and on Monday. So not a huge deal if they have to come in. There's That's their hours. They're coming in regardless, so not a big deal. Other places, you'll have a handful of people that you just pick from the week, and you say, you guys are going to work weekend duty. So if you don't get the work done, whatever doesn't get done or isn't prepped in time, these guys are going to have to come in over the weekend to get everything prepped for Monday's flyers or Sunday night's flyers. Okay. So if there's nothing going on and nothing breaks somehow, which never really happens anymore with the way Air Force is, we're so busy, weekend duty won't have to come in. So if we can make swing shift just stay a full 12 instead of calling in weekend duty, we will. But that almost never happens. And usually it's swing shift is here, weekend duty is already here, but we're going to keep swing shift to make them do stuff while weekend duty just sits there and asks, why can't we help? while they go and finish their 12-hour shift. Yeah. It, was, it was horrible. 
Well, that's, that's the life of a maintainer and a career assistance advisor. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds, yeah. Doesn't sound bad. I would, I love air traffic. I don't think I'd ever volunteer to leave it. Not anytime soon anyway. But hearing, like talking to Scott, uh, hearing his life as a shirt, some of the decisions and things he's had to do are stressful. But I also, it's cool to see like the influence he has. Yes. Career assistance advisor talking to you, it seems like you enjoy it too. Talking to Boining as the, Boining as the commandant, like that also seems not bad. Um, so there's a lot of different like avenues that we can go that do seem cool. I just, I don't know. I'm just like, I think I'm just biased or too comfortable doing what I think I love. I do love. And it's great when you have a really good job. And a lot of the people that maybe do leave their career fields are in jobs that we get, we need a break from. Mm. But yeah, cause Buning is medical. Scott is sheet metal hmm. i think he's sheet metal metals tech Kreider's metals tech one of ooh, one of them's one of them's something Everyone's you don't something. you don't ever want to mix those two up and i just did i'm pretty sure scott's yeah. sheet metal <laughs> okay um he could be mad at both of us uh, if, <laughs> if he ever listens I, to this i think scott sheet metal i think sergeant Kreider jeff is metals tech if okay. i'm getting that right and anthony i think is oh crap hey don't put this on me is Anthony sheet metal too? He's AMXS. I know that much. He's MXS. Oh, dang it. You're right. <laughs> I'm going to uh, edit Anthony, that Anthony, I can't remember out. which you are now. He's friends with a lot of metals tech people because that's who is mm. making the going or the gifts at the original. He must be metals tech. I'm going to go Anthony's metals tech, Kreider's metals tech, and Scott is sheet metal. Final well, answer. Since I know all three of these, I'll have them verify and get <laughs> mad at you if, if you're wrong. Uh, fingers crossed that I got that right. So about five minutes ago, you talked about knowing Airman Gunderson, Airman Ray, oh, and Airman yeah. Wynn. Those are all air traffic airmen. Yes. What is your perception of air traffic airmen? They seem really, really driven, especially. I don't know Wynn very well. I've only met him a handful of times. Okay. Gunderson came through my first FTAC class on my own. And then Ray, I think he just volunteered for a bunch of the panels, the airmen's mm -hmm. panels, and listening to him talk. They just have a certain level of, I'm going to say this word, but it's probably not the right one, maturity, where their job is really, really important. And it's not that other jobs aren't important, but you have to be, when you're on headset or however you guys, whatever you guys, plugged in, whenever you guys are plugged in, it takes a certain level of commitment that not all jobs take throughout the time they're doing whatever they're doing. Like if I'm doing an ops check on, a radio out on the flight line. I push a bunch of buttons and I wait to see if it's going to be good or not. And then I can just shoot the shit with whoever's next door to me or next in the next seat over where you guys don't really have that luxury when you guys are plugged in. Mm -hmm. You have to be ultra focused and you can just tell that they work at a different level. So. Yeah, that's good. I'm, yeah. I, I like to think air traffic, you know, obviously everyone has to have pride in their own job, but definitely something I think a lot of us try to instill to like be better, not make excuses. So it's cool to hear that that is somewhat perceived from people outside of our own career field, different groups. I, uh, I was once on the, well, not me, uh, something I did was on the airman NCO page and it had, it had thousands of likes or like laughing faces, actually not likes. This was like 2017 and my buddy bear bash, Justin bear bash. He had just worked a 10 hour shift, which in air at Osan air base, one of the busiest airfields. And to us, that is, very rare, very difficult, uh, very stressful, you know, just 10 hours yeah. talking to aircraft nonstop, thinking, making sure your, your puzzle's correct. And then he had 
got home and like I brought him food. I got him a pizza with no cheese, no sauce, just like tomatoes and peppers. <laughs> and I left it at his door. And I also put a sticky note on his door. I was like, hey, man, I know you just worked a long 10-hour shift. Hopefully we don't have to do that again. But just so you know, like we care about you. Something like that. It was very generic. Yeah. And then I left. And so and then I like messaged him, hey, man, I left something at your door. And it was a, he's a streamer, too. So on live stream, he's like, hey, my friend got me this oh, nice. shitty pizza. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really funny. And then also he, he like acknowledged the note, but he left the note on this door and some asshole decided to take a picture and be like, look at these assholes complaining after one 10 hour shift, <laughs> you know, like some maintenance person, I assume because we shared a dorm with them. I had done that and like everyone was laughing at it. And I was like, man, they have no idea like what a 10 hour shift in air traffic can feel like when you're plugged in the entire time. Oh yeah. And so we like, kind of like, we would see everyone laughing and it was like getting shared. We're like, you know, I was kind of hurt, but between us we're like yeah they just don't get it like they don't get it they don't and maintainers we're a special breed we can dish it all day long and we can take it too but we like to pick on people for lack of better words or just kind of not even pick on but just joke about everything Uh, i i still tell people the hardest i ever worked was when i was at ramstein as a postal clerk or whatever you want to call me christmas week christmas not even week (laughs) from november until I think end of January, we're not even allowed to take leave. Unless you're deploying, oh. you can't take leave because it's all hands on deck. And everybody is in their position doing whatever they have to do. I remember, usually it's one truck that comes through, and it's pretty full. It'll have probably 800 pieces, and 800 pieces means just the big bags of mail that they have, and there'll be 10, 12 bo- mm-hmm. boxes in there. And a letter tray is one piece of mail, and... A letter tray is about this big, so first-class mail. Think about all the envelopes that can be stuck in there. <laughs> and sometimes you get eight trays, sometimes you get 60 trays. And the trays are kind of broken down by groups of, like, 5,000. So then we have to break them down to groups of 100. So at Ramstein now, they have a nice little machine that will do that for you, break it into groups of 100. But back when I was, back in my day, <laughs> it was me and another person breaking down these letter trays. So I have whatever the reverse of carpal tunnel is. Uh-huh. Carpal tunnel affects these two. I have something. So I got that tunnel. fancy mouse, huh? Yeah, it helps. But I was pitching mail for so long that I hurt my hand, and I'm, I was supposed to wear a brace, but it would slow me down. I could imagine eight hours, 40 hours a week doing that. I, I never worked an eight-hour shift as postal. Less or more? It was always more. Ah, <laughs> for less. No, I think maybe once or twice if I had an appointment or something, it was less than an eight-hour shift. But it was almost always a 10-hour day. And then if you worked in the back receiving all the mail, it was usually a 12-hour shift. Okay. But that day it was an 18-hour shift. And it was an 18-hour shift knowing you had to come back in six hours and do it again. Because just the sheer amount of mail. We had two trucks come in that day. By the time we got done unloading the first truck, the second one pulled up. And we were already behind. There was only like eight of us that night. And so we just see another truck and we're like, maybe it won't be that full. Maybe it'll just have, you know, 50, 100 pieces. It was another full truck, like stuff spilling out. Just, you know, one of those big semi trucks. And I think all of us collectively cried a little bit on the inside. Definitely sighing. One yeah. person physically pissed off and she like walked away for a few minutes before she came back. We didn't even finish everything that night. 18 hours. You should have seen the place. It's a big post office back there. Just shit everywhere. Boxes everywhere. We didn't lose anyone's mail. Don't worry. <laughs> but there's just, if you could see the chaos back there. And then knowing how far behind we were, we didn't even have all the boxes put in their places. 
because you put everything in a certain area and then you go write them up so then you can put a little package slip mm. in their boxes. Breaking down the first class mail, you, you break it down into groups of 100 and then you go pitch it in everybody's mailbox. 10,000 mailboxes at Ramstein. So just the sheer amount of, and then there's the second class mail. So all the catalogs and magazines. And you know, sometimes when you get the double catalogs or triple catalogs, uh-huh. JCPenney catalogs, I don't think those are a thing anymore. Do you remember those things? They're this yeah. thick. You could fit, you can fit three, three into someone's mailbox, but then they can't open it. And they get really <laughs> pissed. And then you got to help them get it out. Yep. And then we get yelled at because we knew it probably wouldn't work out, but you're just so mad. You're just, this is your mail. You <laughs> this will person won't complain. And you know that. You know they don't want three of them, but you have to, by law, pitch everything into their box. And sometimes people won't come get their mail because it's a really long process sometimes, unfortunately, to pick up packages just because there's so many people on this base and there's only so many people volunteering and working back there. I remember when their boxes would get too full. And I don't know if they still do this. If they do, I'm sorry for whoever's listening that station at Ramstein. But I would take all their junk mail and I would put it in an envelope and then I would put it in with all the packages and write it up as a package. And then people would come get their mail. And then they wait in line for 15 minutes to an hour to get all their junk mail. But if you just pick up your mail on time, you wouldn't have that issue. Mm. So it's a hard lesson learned. And I was allowed to do it because by law, you can't have an overflowing mailbox. So we just put it over there and then. Yeah, I think at Spangalum, the like when I made my mailbox, a thing said, you will check your mailbox every day. Like, I think the thing said that, like, literally, I, it said that, and I was like, that is not possible. Like, and maybe it's a duty day, but it was something just like, it was some kind of every day. Where I was like, there's no way, like, you can't expect people to do that. And honestly, if someone just has a lot of stuff, it doesn't matter how often they check it. Mm-hmm. And some people don't have anything come in, so they don't have to worry about it either. I think we had those little strips, too. Yeah. That they would say, remove this within five days or ten days, if not we'll close your box on you or we'll give you one more attempt and then we can close your box because you're not using it. Yeah, something that they do cool now though is they just email you so they don't have to send out those strips. Like it just emails your personal email when you get the code right there to scan. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, that's what they had in 2018 when I was in Spangolum. So they've they've simplified their processes. That's awesome. I could probably, I've always wanted to do this and I just haven't done it. I've always just wanted to watch like a YouTube video of like me or like an envelope getting put into a mailbox and then just seeing the journey. Like how does it get from there to my buddy in Africa? Like, just how does it do it? Like, do they just like look at the zip code? Like does machine read that zip code that I hand wrote and send it somewhere. Yeah. And if you look at the back, I don't know how they do it now because I think they have again, a new streamlined process, but on the back of letters or the side that the adhesive was on, there used to be all those little barcodes on the bottom of your mail and that would just Mm. read through and it would go to the different locations. So it know it, it would need to go from, Ramstein to JFK or to Chicago or SFO, security forces. No, to uh, San Francisco. Yeah. So it would know where it kind of needs to go. Okay. So, so there's like a barcode that they stamp on it and mm-hmm. that just sends it. Yeah. So that, okay. I mean, it. we have to look at it too to an extent. Uh, when a package, we called it the finance section, which really confused a lot of people because they mm-hmm. would think Air Force finance. But when you send out a package, it'll go back to the R&D, the receiving dispatch, and then they'll put them in the different bags. By region, so SFO, ORD, JFK, Miami, and then probably one other place. Seattle was probably the other one. So it'll kind of just get distributed from there, and then from there it'll go to wherever it needs to break it down. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Well, yeah, I sent uh, I sent someone a package in Ramstein, and it was there in like 
six, seven days. I'm like, that is crazy. Like how quick that got to you from yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but back to that story out of that 18 hour shift, mm-hmm. I think I worked 17 and a half hours that day, just nonstop. And not, again, not, not as draining mentally. Well, maybe draining mentally, but not the same level of commitment that you have to have when you're on, when you're plugged in, just physically moving around and pitching all the mail and knowing that you're not even going to finish everything that night. And there's yeah. nothing worse than when your day shifters, we were basically swing shift. So we come in at 1500. There was nothing worse than when day shift would go home for the night around five and they come in the next day around eight or nine. Like, you're still here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why? Yeah. You think we left and then we came back to be here before you today? Like you guys, and you guys have done this. This is a rite of passage. Everyone has to be PSC nights before they can go to wherever they go. Mm. There was, it's kind of like stay, stay dry defender or stay warm maintainer. We don't like it. So would you do postal <laughs> again? Mm. Willingly? Would you volunteer for it? If I went to a smaller location, I probably could. I couldn't do that work workload at my age now and just the way my back is and my knees. I almost threw out my shoulder just doing the mail there one day. Hmm. Bags are only supposed to weigh 70 pounds, but someone put a full bag of catalogs, and it had to weigh probably closer to 150 pounds. Oh, wow. And someone was coming off the conveyor belt. I thought I could just put it on my shoulder and walk. No, that thing ripped my shoulder all the way back, and I let go of the bag. But if not, it probably would have tore my... <laughs> shoulder out of its socket that sucks yeah. <laughs> should have let go sooner yeah i should have i should have probably just not even tried i probably should have known how much that weighed so something i remember talking to you about maybe like two weeks ago i think it was over text is i asked you what your favorite book was oh yeah right and you said oh, i'm not really a reader no i'm not and i thought about that i think it was just yesterday actually because i was trying to get prepared a little bit oh. on what to maybe talk about fortunately in this job that I'm currently in, I have to learn how to just kind of you know, speak on it. It's crazy when you're so busy, you kind of, you're right, it was yesterday. But you, just, <laughs> you know, sometimes you just get so busy, yes. which I've been busy lately, oh, that no, you just yeah. kind of mix, mix days together. Felt like two weeks ago, but it was 24 hours ago. <laughs> but go on. Yeah, just about, just, <laughs> just on, or just over 24 hours now. Uh, the last book I really read, and this is not my favorite book, but was the Harry Potter books. Ah. But in college, I... If you couldn't tell, I'm kind of a people person. Sure. I'm blue, not Air Force blue. But, but you weren't in college. No, yeah. but I've always enjoyed watching people, not creepily, okay. but just kind of, I'd always have my music on. And then I would read books every now and then. And then there's this book called The Magic Castle okay. by Carol Smith. And it's a book about multiple personalities, basically. There's this little boy that they ended up fostering, the, the lady, that the author. And... This kid was just horrifically abused growing up. His mom was in a cult. Anything that probably could have happened to this kid, unfortunately, did happen mentally, physically, emotionally. And once this kid was safe with this foster family, these personalities started coming out of him. And basically, he had eight personalities that, uh, during the most horrific times in his life, would take over his consciousness, I guess, kind of like the movie Split. And... They would endure whatever pain he was going through. So as he was in this comfortable environment with the foster family, his body would break down and allow him to go through some of these pain and events that he went through. Like one day, I think his back was just covered in bruises or something. And it was literally just he was old enough now and in a safe enough environment that his body was releasing all the, the shit he kept inside, I guess, for lack of better words. But yeah, these eight personalities at some point all 
presented themselves to the family. And they kind of... This is a true story? Yeah. Oh. And they explained what they went through for... Uh, his name was Alex in the book. What horrific event they took place or um, were there for him, basically. Mm. And then once all that stuff went away, I guess he hadn't, those personalities never presented themselves again. But it's crazy to think that there are events that could happen that are that horrific in someone's life that maybe that could happen. And I don't know. It's science. It's a lot of things. But I don't know. That was just kind of crazy. And then watching the movie Split was kind of cool too, obviously, yeah. kind of sci-fi by the end of it. Yeah. But just the fact that maybe if we are going through something traumatic enough that our body knows this is one way it can cope is for lack of better words, it hides what you're going through from you. Mm-hmm. And then when you're old enough or mature enough or ready emotionally, these these things come back to light. And I don't know if he was conscious when the the personalities presented themselves to the foster parents or not. But then when he had some of the things he was going through, and I won't talk about some of them because they were pretty horrific. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, that sounds like an interesting thing. And that is why I, so I was surprised when you said you, you don't like reading, even though it felt like, two, maybe that's why I felt like it was two weeks ago. I just, I, I just thought you were a reader. And I feel like as a reader, you kind of just look at people or talk to people and you just know if they're a reader. And I would have assumed you were. So when you said you weren't, I was like, what? Like, yeah, you are. <laughs> like, don't lie to me. So I just, it was surprising to me. But I think that's why I like reading the way you recollected, recollected, that that story like i could tell you were passionate and excited about it and while you're reading it you probably really enjoyed it and so every time i'm reading like i'm kind of weird and i'm always just thinking of weird things in my head or like like wanting to know how a letter gets from here to my friend and, oh, sure. and like i just want to watch its path like i think about that almost every time i stick a letter in the mailbox which is way more frequent than most people do these days um it's just so interesting to me so for you to talk, like not be a reader yeah just surprised me i guess I actually just had this conversation with the innovations NCYC where I just not very, and Sergeant Ganey, who's going to be one of the ALA cadre. I just don't sit still very well. And if I do, I just want to be completely zoned out. So I listen to a lot of music. Okay. I used to read a little bit more or if I can watch TV, I'll watch TV, but anything that requires me to move, like puzzles, Bob, my husband started a puzzle and he's like, you want to help? It's like, absolutely not. (laughs) Get that I, I away did, from me. I didn't me. like to color as a little kid. Whatever it took was time consuming that I had to sit there and do something. I wasn't about that. But yeah. you can have me sit still for eight hours listening to music or if I have to watch TV or something, and I'll be fine. I'll probably fall asleep if I'm watching TV. But if I'm just listening to music, I can completely zone out. I have no responsibility. I'm not trying to do anything. But anything that requires cognitive function, I guess, I, I'm not about that yeah. anymore. That's fair. I like reading, but I have no interest in puzzles. Just the <laughs> idea, like the idea of like a girl I really like saying, "Hey, John, let's do a puzzle." Fuck no! Yeah, right? <laughs> Get that away from. And me. some people love them, and I know it can be really calming and probably just a good way to zone out. But for me, it's stressful because I want to get the shit done. A thousand pieces. Are you sure they're all here? Because I've been looking for this piece for like 20 minutes. It's, and not, it's not here. here. I'm telling you. That's what happened to Bob. It's like you didn't even finish the border. I I can't find this piece. I'm pretty sure one of the cats ate it. (laughs) And she was like, okay. And then, so they sat down to do it. And she said within 20 minutes, she was just pissed off because like she flipped all the pieces around, was trying to find the borders. And he was just taking pieces and like (laughs) stick them in the middle where there's nothing there. (laughs) I was like, I would do that. I could Uh, just imagine the stress. Yeah, puzzles are not for me. 
and then I like I, it's like a competition. So if like we were doing one and you were doing better than me at it, I would if I'm not if I'm not winning or better at something, I don't want to do it. Sure, I just not for me. So anyone who ever wants to date me, don't ask me to do a puzzle. <laughs> Maybe one of those twenty piece puzzles. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> I'll take a twenty piece puzzle or less. Go for speed. So how do you like doing podcasts? I know you do it, and yours is very, so yours. Can we cuss on yours? I know we didn't, and I was trying not to. Would you edit it out if we had? Probably. Yeah. I, I'm supposed to run them through PA, mm-hmm. but PA has taken a while because they're kind of low man, and some of them are time sen- not time sensitive, but we want them out by a certain yeah. time. And as long as I feel like there's nothing that's going to get anyone in trouble, nothing controversial, nothing that can be taken the wrong way, I've just been releasing them on my own yeah. lately. Um, but no, I like, I didn't want to do them. I did not want to. And Sergeant Barrett, who was the CAA before me, and then Sergeant Haas started them, who was the CAA right before him. They had all these podcasts done and that was one of the criteria. And even Chief Guzman mentioned, Hey, you're going to be taking over this podcast. And I wanted to be like, no, I have too much to learn. Yeah. It seems like that's something that should be on the back burner. I still am not sure how many people listen to it. So if it's worth it or not. But that was something that was very adamant, and he would keep asking me about them. And then I did my first podcast was actually interviewing Chief Guzman. Nice, Sergeant or yeah, Sergeant Barrett had me do that one. It's like you guys can do this together, and then I can show you how to break everything down. Was this like as soon as Chief Guzman took over as command chief, or relatively shortly after he took over? I think that was probably in March. Yeah, it had to be in early March because Sergeant Barrett. I had two and a half weeks turnover with him before he PCS, mm-hmm. so it had to have been. Yeah, yeah, it's not very much. Very time. Been beginning of March, and I think he got here. I, I'm friends with him on Facebook, Chief Guzman, and I think he just got to Fairchild today, actually last year. Oh wow! So, Happy one year. Yeah. So all that was. I, I don't know when they had gotten it prepared, but it was already. This is going to be this day, and you are going to be the one doing it. So how do you like the podcast now that you've been doing it for about a year? The hardest part is just finding people to interview. It's really great to have leadership. And that's what Senior Haas and Sergeant Barrett had a lot of was leadership and just listening to them. And they had a lot of view or listens. We don't do mm-hmm. video. And they they were well-received. It's just you can only do that so many times. And people leave not as often enough to where you could just rely on, let's do a squadron commander or yeah. group commander, group chief every time. So coming up with different ideas. I wanted to do one on what what a checklist does not have when you get ready to deploy and things that you wish you would have known. But that one has been hard to find more people to do them. That's really cool. That sounds interesting. <laughs> so I'm trying to get more. I had Sergeant Quint, who was my first NCYC, do one. And then I need to find different AFSCs because yeah. it's going to be different. Like for us as Tanker 135 guys, we know we're going to go to Turkey or Al-Udid. That's it. That's it. And that's not really PII because... Or not PII, but OPSEC, because if you look on a Google map, you can find all that stuff very, very easily. But those are the two locations we primarily go. Uh, for other AFSCs, yours, you could probably go anywhere when you deploy. Yeah, a lot of places. Yeah. 135s only go so many places. Yeah. So getting different AFSCs, be like, yeah, when I went to Africa, this is what I wish I would have had. Or when I went to, well, it's closed now, but Manas, this is. I wish I would have had a lot more cold weather gear. Yeah. I wish I would have taken that seriously. Yeah. So you're saying you, you didn't want to do it, but now that you're doing it, you kind of like it. It's just a struggle to get people. 
get people on. It is. So I'm glad ALA graduated. So then I could do one with <laughs> so you guys. So I could have an episode. <laughs> and then I'm going to have one with, I think, Jared, Emmy, Kumar, and maybe Jessica. Okay. So they'll all come visit me on the 6th, which is going to be a really busy day, but I'm... Oh, yeah. You got two podcasts that day now, huh? Yeah. I was like, I think something else is going on on the 6th. I looked at my calendars. I have a half <laughs> hour between. Okay. You'll understand if I'm a, a few minutes late, but it should all work out. Oh, sweet. See, and now we can use this equipment. Have that set up in one spot. And <laughs> yeah. This, if you need it. This will be at the ALS. But uh, So I think thing. what is cool about podcasts, and I, I can say something that I really I liked about yours, but it is, when I was a kid, my dad used to listen to Rush Limbaugh radio all sure. the time. He was listening to the radio, and radios are kind of gone. And getting news, most people are getting it through social media. Yes. And so having that podcast was it's really cool, especially like a local one, because I can kind of stay up to date at my at my own time whenever I want to during my drives at work. If there's no one in my office, True. that's when I listen to yours with Chief Guzman and Colonel Bentley was on my drive to work. And then I finished it at at my office because oh, yeah, this is pretty good. And through it, I learned that the when the wing awards were going to be February 18th, yep. you know, I just learned uh, all these different things. I think they talk about rise or. Yep. Yeah. Like I learned about that, didn't really know what it was, and Ganey then later told me more yeah. about it. Um, I learned that they had, for the first time ever, Fairchild created the Wing Team of the Year Award, you know, and I was like, hey, my team does a lot of shit. So I jumped on that, asked my my commander exec team, like, hey, what's the eligil- eligibility for this? Because I think my team can win. They're like, we don't know yet. <laughs> so I just started writing one, like thinking, hey, if nobody knows about this, we're going to win. Yeah. Like, you know. But unfortunately, or not, I guess it's good. Other people knew about it because I didn't okay. even win for my own squadron. Like, other oh, wow. people knew about this award. So it was cool, though, like, getting news f- directly from Chief Guzman, Colonel Bentley. That was cool. Like, it, or it's like it's an avenue that where a lot of us line workers or, you know, I work on the other side of the base. I don't get that. If it's not in an email, I will probably never know. So it is a cool avenue to hear what's most important to, on their mind. Uh, back, I came from Kunsan, and they do it, too. They're on... They okay. do podcasts out there too. And so like I would stay up to date a little bit through theirs more so since I left, I'm seeing what these guys are doing, but it is a cool Avenue. And I just think most people don't know about it or they just think it won't apply to them. So they don't want to commit the 40 minutes a week or whatever it is you, yeah. you put out. So I think it'll get there. It, I think it is the way of the future. It's just, it's just growing. And I'm trying to think of, and that's why even in the opening credits or whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. we even say, you know, if you have ideas, I even leave my email address and I think I say my name in half the podcast. We want them. I'm probably not going to turn most of them down. The only one that turned me down was actually the MFLAC because of all their rules and regulations. Yeah. They can't talk about some of the stuff they offer. But if people have ideas or people want to be on the podcast, I'm sure we can talk about something. Yeah. Have and you, Yeah. Have Random idea, feel free to say no. I think, as I've been in for 13 years now, um, you know, I'm saying this because you know Gunderson, uh, one of our three-level airmen. I've had awards. I've got hundreds on my PT test, come back from deployments, uh, promotions, everything that I've ever had in my Air Force career, finished my master's degree, everything I've ever accomplished, nothing has ever beaten getting my five-level in air traffic. Like, that is the biggest accomplishment I've ever made, my most proudest moment uh, going through tech school where a lot of people washed out, going through training where a sure. few people washed out, and then finally having that, knowing I had a job for the next six to 40 years, however long I wanted to do it, where I'd be okay money-wise. I just meant so much and to like be accepted by your peers because they got you there. Um, to air traffic, it's huge. 
So when Gunderson gets rated here, probably January, February. Okay. I bet like just talking, like letting her talk about her experience would be cool. Uh, all the air traffic controllers, I'm sure would listen to it. I can't speak for the rest of the base, <laughs> but the air traffic controllers would like it. And then maybe, I don't know, slowly like doing little shops like that individual. What makes this person special? And she's very well liked. So just because it's her, people are going to listen, at least air traffic wise. No, and that's actually some... Um, I think either my husband or someone else mentioned maybe doing different AFSCs around the base. So if she wants to do one when she's closer to getting her five level, she has my cell phone number. She can definitely reach out or you can just make her come over here. I won't make her. We try so hard (laughs) not to make them do it because I know if I, if me telling a A A1C, Hey, you're going to do this, they say, okay, but I don't want her to do it unless she wants to do it. I think she'll probably be okay with it. And if not, you can probably always get Airman Ray. (laughs) Pressure her into this. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ray recently got rated, uh, Actually, he got rated before I got here. Okay. So he's been rated for a while now. He just turned 21. Did you know that? Yeah, I saw his birthday pictures. We're Facebook friends, too. <laughs> <laughs> You're Facebook friends with everyone. Uh, it's one good way to stay connected with people. Sure. It's just, yeah, definitely is. I always feel weird clicking the add friend button. Like, what if they say no? And then add friend is on there the next day. It's going to hurt my feelings. <laughs> I don't want to get rejected. It It, it is a chance you take but at the end of the day and some people i don't think they even really use facebook that much anymore mm-hmm. so that's what i try and just think is maybe they just don't use it if they don't add me right away or every now and then after like a month and i even forgot that i tried to request to be someone's friend i'll get a message saying this person just added you back or finally oh. accepted it holy shit i thought <laughs> i didn't even remember that i hit the add to friend button but oh. here we are here we are just had one of those the other day Oh, shit. There she is. Yeah. So let's move to this. This is one of my favorite questions to ask people. Your best mentors throughout your career. You said 17 years now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, best mentors. Who are they? So this is the other question you kind of had me prepare for. And I was talking to my husband last night because I'm one of those out of sight, out of mind people. And for the first four years of my career, I was only at one place for two years. You've been overseas. So there's not a lot of overlapping time with some people. So... As far as men, I guess he was kind of a mentor, but someone who definitely always I looked up to and he had my back and I didn't even put him on that board was Mass Sergeant DeRizio. He was the postmaster at Ramstein when I got there and he was for about a year and a half. I think he left a little bit before I did. Is a postmaster uh, E7? Yes. Okay. So Mass Sergeant DeRizio and he was just one of those people that he, you know how you say do as I say, not as I do or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it should be do as I do, not as I say. He would be out there on the line with us, pitching the mail, writing up boxes, handing out boxes, whatever he needed to do. Even though he had paperwork, he should probably be working on. Um, I worked in customer service for a while. And people don't want to hear this, but the customer is not always right in the military. And there would be times where I would have to tell people, no, we're not going to do it the way you want to. We have to do it the way the post office or the DMM, our regulations, tell us we have yeah, to. Yeah, of course. And they would not like that answer. And coming from a A1C, no, senior airman by the time I got there, sewed on a couple weeks after I got there. So senior airman the whole time was basically there. They didn't want to hear that from me. I want to talk to the postmaster. Yeah. Sergeant Rizio, what's what's wrong now? This is the situation. This is what I told them. And they, ne- they want to talk to you now. Okay. And he would stop whatever he's doing, go up there, listen to the customer, tell them the same thing they told me, uh-huh. and then give them the exact same answer I would give the, I gave the customer. And then they get kind of frustrated. 
But unless it was just one of those one-offs, he always had my back. And he was just someone that you wanted to work for. It was it was really soul-crushing when he left because the people that replaced him were absolutely horrible. And I'm actually a couple of my friends from Ramstein that worked in the post office are stationed here, and we still talk about the decline of the NSPO, Northside Post Office, after Sergeant Derizio left. Yeah, so it sounds like Sergeant Derizio did one of like the most simple things. It's like work alongside your people right, and then just have their back. That yeah. sounds so simple to do, and I feel like anyone in the leadership role would be like, oh, yeah, I do that. But most people don't. It's just so much easier said than done. Yes. Um, another one is, well, he's now Colonel Grinston, which is really, really cool because a lot of enlisted top officers don't make it as high as he. He's an 06. Not a light colonel. He's a full bird colonel. He was enlisted? He was enlisted oh. for 16 years in the Navy, avionics. So, again, same thing I was doing except on boats. And then he decided to commission, and he went into the Air Force. And at that point, he had already been in nine years by the time, as an officer, by the time he was our squadron commander, as a major. Okay. And he's still in, and that was back in 2011, 2012. So, golly. He's at 35 now. Yeah, he's been in forever. But... My first interaction with him was over a troop. There's no nice way of saying this. He's just kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> he was a really good work. He's good at his job, but mm. he was good in the job he was given. He was in debrief with me. He was supposed to be a crew chief. He didn't even have a seven level as a staff sergeant because he was too afraid to work the line. And if he's ever listening to this, I don't think he will. Just don't say his name. Yeah, he'll know who he is, but just... One of those kids that never had to take care of themselves, I guess, and never had to grow up. Okay. Long story short, he somehow got married, but the wife didn't come with him overseas. She stayed back stateside, so they got the separation pay. That's all I'm going with that. And he just kept it all and never thought that the Air Force was going to want it back. So when he was getting med boarded, it came up that he owed the Air Force $37,000. And was probably going to be court-martialed. So Colonel, or Major Grinston at the time, pulled me into his office because I was the NCOIC of the shop. Every every rooftop was in that. Every senior mass sergeant, our chief was in there. They just want to know, or they everyone was ready to let this kid out of the Air Force. That's the nicest way of putting it. He was more of a hindrance at that point than he was a help. Mm. But Major Grinston only asked me about his work performance. And I couldn't dock anything he did work-wise because as a debriefer, he was spectacular. He was the person I asked questions to. So we're you can tell all the leadership's waiting for me to just icing on the cake, yeah. throw this kid under the bus. And here Major Grinston is asking me only work-related questions. And one question he asked me was, how could he be good at his job if he's only a five-level and he's not all systems qualified? And that, you know, challenge, right? Well, sir, none of us are all systems qualified. In fact, I think there's only one or two people in the AMXS that are. Two, I'm probably the closest, and I'm nowhere near. And it just happens because I'm a spec. And in England, we helped everybody out, so I could do IFCS job a little bit. I could do E&E's job. I was, could do jet stuff. And I could also do crew chief and hydro stuff. So I could do a little bit of everybody's job. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not anywhere near all systems qualified. So to say that means none of my guys are qualified, and I like to think I have a really strong team. So that was the first time I kind of bucked up against him, like, no, 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 you can't say that about us. We're really good. And 
regardless of him being a five level, he's still a really good debriefer. Mm -hmm. And then all he did was ask me work. I waited for him to ask me about anything else and he didn't. And by the end he's like, yeah, you're done. Thanks. And you could just, I could feel, I could feel everyone just staring at me. I'm pretty sure I still have a scar on my neck for someone just staring me down. And later on he comes to me uh, at the vending machine, like a day or two later. I think I shared this on my podcast. Sergeant Northam. And back then, you know, staff sergeants and commanders. No, 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 we don't, Mm -hmm. we don't. Especially back then, 2012, 2014 probably, 2013, 2014. You don't have that rapport with your commander. It's like, I'm really proud of you. Uh, Because of the snack choices I'm making. (laughs) About to get a whatchamacallit out of the vending (laughs) machine, sir. I don't know if, is that what you're proud of me for? It's like, no, no, no. You stood up to me. Oh, I didn't stand up to you. This is what I'm thinking. I didn't stand up to you. You just asked me questions that I couldn't lie about. He's like, you you know, you told me the honest truth. And long story short, this squadron commander went to back, uh, had this kid's back. Mm. He got him out of confinement early. He got him a reduced sentence uh, from the court-martial originally too, I think. But just to know, and then this guy was also always out on the flight line, always at work. Not like creepily, I'm always listening to you. We had one of those. He would take a radio home. But he would be out there on mid-shift every now and then to check on his people. Mm -hmm. He would be out there at like 8 o'clock at night. Sir, did you not go home yet? I went home, but I came back because I wanted to check on my people. So again, seeing that that connectedness he had with people and the the willingness and out of... You know, he went out of his way to make sure that he was meeting his people and he knew who was working for him. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Sounds Major Griston now. Colonel Griston? Colonel Grinston. Grinston? Sounds like yeah, what he did. Yeah, he's over at yeah. South Carolina now, I think. Shaw? Uh, no, the better one. Charleston. Oh, Charleston. Sure oh, that Charleston. was a nice one. Yeah, yeah. that would be nice to be there. But it sounds like he did something similar to the first uh, first postmaster is just be around the people, coming back to work, and then showing, a, showing gratitude or for appreciation for you standing up or saying what you thought. It sounds like that's what made him memorable memorable to you. Yeah. It was... So there's more than that, but that's what I picked up on. That was a lot of it. He would also embarrass me. Yeah. And people like that. Like, I actually, uh, at least, <laughs> and the, if it was, like, funny, embarrassed you. Uh, I remember it was at one commander's call after all this happened, and he's like, where's Sergeant Northam? She's my favorite, my mm-hmm. favorite person in the squadron right now. I mean, it's a compliment, obviously, but you don't want to be singled out, like, for something like that, you know what I mean? Mm. Not not because it's a do-good thing, but you just don't want that humility. You don't want the recognition. I was just doing something that I th- I knew I had to do, for lack of better words, for integrity, right? Yeah. We knew I couldn't just, I couldn't lie about his work performance. I, I could have easily told the truth about everything else in his life, mm-hmm. and that would have been enough probably to change the outcome. Yeah. It sounds like you, like you knew your role, though, like as a follower a subordinate that's if he asks you a question it's not your job to be talking about other things just tell him what he's asking as much as i wanted to i sure. won't lie I, I really wanted to and i think they all wanted me to too but yeah yeah i think you made the right <laughs> choice anyone else how about locally so he's probably going to hear this because you're probably going to have him on the show but i've really appreciated everything chief guzman has done he's our current command chief at mm-hmm. fairchild Super excited when I took on the role. Super, like, I think as soon as I got there, he wanted to have a meeting just to be on the same page, figure out. We still have usually monthly sync-ups just to make sure that whatever I need, I know. 
whatever I need, I get to an extent on how to make the base better or how to help out the airmen. Because that's basically what my job is. But he's included me on a lot of different things. And I think, I mean, this role has been super incredible. It's, I like working with people and just, it's forced me out of my comfort zone. And that's the biggest thing when you mentioned you like where you're at in your AFSC. Yeah. It forces you out of your comfort zone and hopefully it forces you into a role that you enjoy. I'm sure there's chances that you wouldn't enjoy certain roles. Maybe you really want to do honor guard and then you realize you really don't want to stand there <laughs> sure. in the cold or you don't want to be the person having to thank someone's loved ones for their service. Cause I know I couldn't do that. I'd probably break down every time like a, sure. A little baby every time I had to thank someone for their thank someone's loved one for their loved one's sacrifice, but he's just always he's very transparent too, and I that's another Air Force word that I don't really like. Yeah, but he's very open with everything, and he'll tell you if your idea isn't up to par. And one thing he's always kind of said is, "Don't ever say no." And sometimes you really do have to say no, but for the most part, can we make it work? And I've learned in this role, it's easy to say no, but like one thing I don't really want to be taking on that I am going to be taking on is the first term officer course. Mm. It just, my job in the AFI pretty much says that I'm primarily here for enlisted. It's not that I can't help officers, but in a squadron or a, a base of 3,500 airmen, I'm supposed to look after the enlisted members. It's not that I can't. That That's just my focus, though. And so having to... I don't have to create the course. I have to find the course because it's hidden somewhere. But learning that it's going to help more people and look at bigger picture. I'm sure just being a senior NCO, you probably notice that, too, is just seeing the bigger picture mm-hmm. instead of just always saying, no, or that's stupid, or I don't want to do that. It's why don't I want to do that? And is it really something I don't want to do? Or is it just something that's uncomfortable and I need to be uncomfortable? Like with the graduation, I volunteered for it for ALA. And I was like, shit, I don't want to do this shit. It's not (laughs) hard. I just don't want to do it. Yeah. And it means I have to talk to protocol and I have to do all this other stuff. And then I looked at the list. Like I know half of these people that I have to reach out to. So it shouldn't be hard. I just didn't want to do it because it was something that was going to take away time for me to do something else. Sure. And it wasn't even, it took me like an extra 10 minutes, honestly, to fill out all those forms and send them off to the different organizations. But yeah. Yeah. We went out, you went on a different things there. I, I think <laughs> with the ALA thing, yeah, like not want to do graduation. I agree with that. Um, same with like this visit, like they're just, there's no real instant gratification. It's a lot of work, a lot of planning for one moment. And then even in that moment, it was, not about you. It was about the students. And I guess, and you let me speak. Uh, so yeah, like it wasn't, I could see that like the gratification side, definitely making it unexciting to do. But as far as like chief Guzman, if you had something about that, go ahead. Oh, I, I knew it was for somebody like mm-hmm. it, it wasn't for me. It was for these 16 airmen or NCOs that spent the last, well, 10 weeks with us, 11 technically, but they're only with us for 10 weeks. Sure. And it was so cool to see how many people came out to support them from the group commanders, squadron commanders and chiefs to family and coworkers. Yep. That was really cool. So that totally made it worth it. Yeah. I just, 
Again, it wasn't hard. I think it was the food part, and I'm glad Anthony <laughs> took that over because like, I don't, I don't want to call these. Pl- yeah, I didn't want to call these places and find prices and quotes. I just wanted to do that part. So that part worked out really well. I agree. Yeah, but talking about Chief Guzman, I agree with you. He is very transparent. I didn't know that that was like his philosophy or idea to never say no. Can you make it work? Is that something he says often, or just to you? Uh, he says it in a different way, but okay. it's pretty much something he he lives by. Is no should never be the answer. Yeah. As for someone who's at the top of the enlisted ranks at our base, like it's really nice to know he feels that way because just through my experience with him, that is what he does is he, when I asked him if I could do this ALA thing, you know, I'm just like some guy who just showed up and said, Hey, can I do this? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, I, it it was, people, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was like, let's give it a shot. You know, he's, I was kind of worried I had to really sell it on him on like why. And it was just very like, sure. And yeah. I was like, cool. <laughs> you know, when I want, when we want to do that award thing, he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll sign it. Like, it just makes it so easy to just ask him. Like, I, I feel like as E7s, asking E8s or E9s or commanders for things can be kind of like, you're kind of hesitant because you know you can't just keep asking for things and they're yeah. always going to say yes. So asking for things, I'm always very hesitant to do it. But he has kind of created that environment where I, I feel like I could just text him or send him an email, hey, can I do this? And like made that more comforting, which I like to think has a great impact on the wing because now I can just do these things. And Niccolo, when he won that award, probably meant a lot to him. You know, it, he had a really good speech. Like I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. And that's just because Chief Guzman had, I guess, that attitude of sure. He didn't want to know why we won an award, didn't ask. He just said, sure. So I feel like that's something, I don't know if I do that. I feel like I say no sometimes. I try not to, but that's something I definitely could take is try to say yes. Because what's the worst that could happen most times? Like, what was the worst that could happen from Chief Guzman saying yes to this ALA idea or the award idea? That's actually how I got my NCYC job. Hmm. So I, there's a six-month rotation. Right now it's Sergeant Fields, and Sergeant Quint was the first one. But during my initial meeting with him, I forgot to ask about that. And I seen him, I think at FTAC. He was, I don't remember what he was at. Maybe he was at Right Start or FTAC, and he was on his way out the door. The chief, I forgot to mention this. I was really wondering about the p- possibility of getting an NCYC to run FTAC and then help me out with some other things. It'll free me up. It'll give, and even more importantly, it's going to give an NCO a chance to get outside their job for a handful of months, see something in a different light, and also be in charge of a program. Mm-hmm. So it's going to help them with their growth too. He's like, absolutely. What do you need? Oh, I should probably ask my boss first. Yeah. I forgot to ask her. Oh, yeah, well, you can have it. Just let me know how we need to go about it. And I think within a month and a half later, we had done the interview process. I think the longest part was just giving people a chance to apply for the job. But Saying no is easy. Again, that comfortability thing we have. Mm-hmm. I think we have to stop. And as much as we want to say no, think, is it really a no situation? Or are we just not thinking about it in in the right way. And sometimes it means asking somebody else too. Hey, yeah. so, so-and-so said I should do this. What do you think? Do you think it's possible? And even if they say no, then you say, well, why do you say no? And then you bump your ideas off of each other. And nine times out of 10, if you really don't want to do something, you can not do it. But nine times out of 10, I think there is a way to make it work. And it may not even be that you have to do it. And maybe, hey, this is a good idea. Let me get a POC for this. Or let me have my NCYC do it. Maybe reach out to some airmen that you know would be really good at it, NCOs that would be really good at it, 
and just pass it along, not to get rid of it, but because they are truly the right person for the job. Mm. Well, speaking about ALA and people being truly the right person for the job, uh. I am really grateful for you taking over when I go away for six months. And then hopefully when I get back, I can still be a part of the team. And I don't, yeah, I feel like passing on that director spot is going to be great because I think you just learn so much from that. I mean, you already kind of know everybody in the wing. So you, like for me doing it here, I know most people just because through ALA. Sure. I know most chiefs now, um, which really helped with this command visit because I could just hit these people up and they kind of know me too. Like there's just so much growth and benefits from doing things and knowing people. And a lot of people will, you know, talk shit or call it cheesy to like network or get your face out there visibility, but it pays off. It's, it does. It's just like an investment in your TSP or in the bank, like the time you put into getting to know people is going to pay dividends for the rest of your time on station and potentially career. True. That, again, if I wasn't in this job, I wouldn't know half the people I know. Mm-hmm. And again, it's also me venturing out, not just staying in my little bubble, because I could just stay in my little office and have people come see me, and it would probably be fine. But it's, I think there's something really important. I've been networking, and I didn't even know it, and my other person that I had up there was Randy Bullock, who I worked with at Milden Hall. And he told me when I was a staff sergeant how important it is to network. And okay. the other person I have on there, Senior Castleberry, he's, I, you met him, right? In the short time Top you guys. Top three president? Yeah. Yep. He, they both are so good at networking. And he it's is. not that they're trying to do it. They know that it's going to benefit down the line. That's why we got Airman Finocchio, that UTM job, AFSC swap, right? Mm-hmm. A retraining job. But there's something about connecting with people that also is really comforting. And it's nice to know, hey, when you PCS, this is the first time I PCS somewhere where I knew a lot of people. Everywhere else I've gone, I've gone to that magical place that no one else is going to. So I never had anyone to reach out to really to be like, hey, I'm coming here. Yeah. Let's be excited. Yay. And the more people you network with, the more likely, and it's not even networking, it's just connecting with if we want to break it down into a more humanistic approach. I think... And some of us like to do that. I'm, I told you I'm blue, and I think blue people do want to connect with people. It's really important to us. You're talking about blue by the four lenses, not Air Force. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Air Force blue, it's, it'd probably just be called networking. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's really important, and I think I can't remember everyone I've met at this point. I used to be really, really good at it. My brain's getting mushy, and just the <laughs> sheer people. amount of people I've met, even since my time at Fairchild— but if you put you if you stand in front of me, at least with the mask on, I can probably recognize your eyes, mm. or I can remember a conversation we've had. I remember a lot of people's names, but I'm going to remember your face in a conversation we most likely had. And like the airman hard overseas, I'm so sorry I lied about the BOP process. And then that's when he brought up, well, I'm actually going to Lake Yeah, because I felt really bad because he was going to extend to try and to go somewhere, mm. and I didn't want him to extend and then get stuck here longer. And it's not that this place is bad. For ammo, they just don't get to do their job. Mm-hmm. So he was ready to do more. Yeah. But Which is good. Yeah. If you so. want to do that. Yeah, I could say this about John Mark Castleberry. Is, as a guy who also, like, focuses, and every time I meet someone, even every name you say, I try to, like, remember it. Um, the Postmaster. Man, that one was just difficult that I dropped it. But most of the other ones <laughs> I remembered. Art Derizio. Derizio. Yeah, I just couldn't. Um, Mark did that within the, fr- I talked to him on the phone once and the first time t- I talked to him cause I wanted to brief ALA the top three to try to get cadre members. And I talked to him on the phone 
and he said his name was Mark. And I was like, oh, see, oh thanks, senior. He's like, no, just call me Mark. I was like, okay. <laughs> like, right. You told me twice, I'll do it. I'm John. He's like, oh, that's my real name, but I go by Mark. Yep. Cool. And then my last name's kind of unique. So when I met him, I shook his hand. Hey, hey, Mark, our senior. I remember like being awkward calling him Mark. He's like, oh, hey, John. I just remember like thinking, like, oh, this guy's a name guy too. Like, and I just yes. felt like him and I had that connection because I spoke to him on the phone once and he knew my name and as, as like I said, as a name guy, I was like, hey, like we're connected now. Yeah. And every time I see him, he'd say, hey, John. I'm like, oh, this guy's got it. He's going somewhere. He's a real good dude. Yeah. He's going to make chief when he's down at Gulfport. Is he going to Biloxi? <laughs> he is going to the Naval. Oh, right down the street. Yeah, he's going to be at the schoolhouse and then his wife's going to be working at Keesler. That's awesome. Yeah. So is he, okay, so he'll, he should be on the next list. I really, really hope so. Yeah. If not, I'm losing faith in the Air Force. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm sure he'll get it. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Only 20%. That's a hard hard number to make. I know, but if that's not the right type of person for chief, I don't know who is. Yeah. Well, I guess time will tell. Yeah. But there's always next year. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping that this job is what catapults him there. Cool. Well, yeah. And his going was today or yesterday? It was today. Okay. It was at 10 o'clock. Sweet. I missed it. Sorry. Sorry, Mark. He's always a phone call away. He says, don't worry. Does he say that? He's small Air Force. Yeah. We're bound to run into each other again, too. Cool. When does he leave? I think he's taken off very beginning of next week. Oh, okay. I was going to say, maybe I could sneak him on here real quick. But that's... I don't remember what area he lives in, so if he lives nearby, he might be willing to. Huh. I got a cell phone number if you don't have it. I don't. So yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah, we'll talk about that after this. Sure. All right. Um, last question I have for you. Sure. You can't pick anyone of equal or higher rank to you, person with a great Air Force future ahead of them. Or so you know what? It doesn't have to be in the Air Force, but a person currently in the Air Force with a great future ahead of them. She's going to be mad, um, and she actually listens to podcasts. So if she hears this, Tech Sergeant Shauna Clay. She's okay. currently the innovations. I don't know what they're calling her. I guess we're going with NCYC. So she got she was the first one to get hired on full time mm -hmm. to run the innovation cell, and she also volunteered. She didn't volunteer. She applied to be the NCYC, and Quint beat her out. But I remember just listening to her talk, and she was really really well put together. And it's not that airmen today and capital A aren't well put together, but you know those airmen that you tell them, go do this, and they figure out how to do it, or they don't know how to do something, and instead of just asking or having someone else do it, they go figure it out. That's what she's done her whole career. So I remember feedbacks are really important on why you didn't get the job. I want it to be personable, and so I met everybody after the interview process and told them, you know, this is why you weren't picked up. And for most of them, for her and the other person who's now my NCYC, it was just Sergeant Quint was, he had that little extra something that we needed for the first person to, to be NCYC. But I remember we had a long talk after, probably about an hour, and just listening to all the things that she had done. She's like, you know what, it's bullshit that airmen don't know how to write, and it was bullshit that staff sergeants and techs didn't know how to, and I wasn't very good at it, and I wasn't good at bullet writing, so I... Learned. I read old bullets. I practiced, and now she just won the third quarter annual, or not annual, the third quarter wing awards. 
And she's putting together a package for annual awards. Hopefully she wins. She won NCO the third quarter for the wing? Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Just really well put together airmen. And I don't know how to describe it. It's Maybe it's because I see some of her qualities that I like. Mm-hmm. And just well put together. Show up on time. Be early even. Know what you're doing. If you can't figure it out, try and figure it out. Ask for help if you absolutely need to. But just keep going. And take care of your people. And she has the respect of everybody at the ground transient shop. Like, everybody misses her in that section. And I told her already, I, I think you're going to be a chief one day. She's like, I don't know if I want to stay in. Mm. Like, well, if you do, I think you're going to make chief. She's like, I just want to make master. She's right behind you. I think she's at 10 years. Nice. And I'm really hoping this year she makes master sergeant. Because if she does, I think she'll probably stay in. And I don't doubt it at all that she'll be chief one day. And she, she probably won't like hearing that. But I've told her this to her face. So it's nothing that she hasn't heard. But I just think she's going places. And it's going to suck because I think we're going to lose her this this summer. I think we're going to lose a lot of people. For PCS or separation? I think she's going to PCS. Okay. Sergeant Ganey's PCSing. Um, Sergeant Staten, who I mentioned earlier, the old ALS Commandant mm-hmm. PCS. Sergeant Castleberry's PCSing. So all these really strong people are leaving. And now it sounds like you might leave pretty soon too. It's a secret. Oh, <laughs> it's fine. Go on. It, though. it could happen. Yeah, it could happen. It, if you get picked up for leave. cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could leave after this assignment too. I could yep. actually leave before this assignment's over. Mm-hmm. If they need me to do a short tour somewhere, I'll have to go to Korea or Turkey or somewhere. I just want to stay here. It'd be just, cool to I'm, go back to Korea or to Korea. I don't know if you've been there before. I just don't want a PCS anymore. Mm. Six PCSs was enough. And the two back to back, like less than a year apart. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. If I can be done, I'm done. The only way I would PCS is if I could go back to peace when it opens up. <laughs> But she is the one person that, if I could bet all the money, and I don't like to bet, but if I could bet money on her, I think she's going to yeah. have a really good Air Force career. Yeah, I feel like that's a very flattering compliment when someone says, you're going to be a chief. Like, it's just, I think you're in the top 1% of the enlisted Air Force. You're just doing all the right things, and you're young, and you've got so much time to, like, get there. Um, and it's I wish... There was like a casino where you, you know, you can like bet on sports games sure. where you could like make these long term investment bets on like this person will be a chief by this time. Like that would be really fun to do because yeah. I have like two people that I like, I know they're going to get there. Like I outrank them right now, but I know they're going to pass me and I know they're going to get there. And I would love to like put money on it. So when right. they get there, I could be like, I told you. I, <laughs> like I knew you would do this. Believe me. And those people are Patrick Hart and Frazier. Like, but they, they have to know, like they're going somewhere. They just do everything right. Yeah, that's a good question, though. It is. <laughs> like you got to look back sometimes. You know, we always look forward at leaders for what to do, but sometimes you just got to look back because those people know what they're doing. They're they're better than us. They just aren't in a really like the same spot to show it. Right. Uh, that's how I was with uh, Sergeant Ganey, who I think is a ten-year master sergeant, nine-year master sergeant. So she made it really quick, and then also Sergeant. State and I used to just go to her office and I would vent about things. Mm-hmm. And I think she's had less time in service and she made master sergeant before me, before me. But I just felt connected when I got this job. It's kind of lonely, especially before I had the NCYC. Because you see, have you seen my office? It's literally a storage closet. It's been not where we did the podcast. No, okay. yeah, it's 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 a f- six of that size, an eighth of that size. And that's where I would spend all my time. I didn't have anybody else that I reported to really except my boss, Miss Keller. I had the people downstairs, but that's their world. 
and upstairs was my little world. Mm-hmm. And it could be kind of lonely. So the fact that she reached out to me, like I remember one day she just kind of showed up at my office when I started. She's like, hi, I'm the ALS commandant. Said, oh, hi. Just kind of stared at her. Just like, oh, no, I just came and I wanted to say hi, you know, introduce myself. Okay. Probably the maintenance side of me. Yeah. <laughs> She's supplied. Like, yeah. But after that, like just the the genuine gesture mm-hmm. of coming by because her office is down by the, well, you know where the ALS building yep. is? Yeah, pretty far away. I mean, not that far away, but far enough that coming to see me was out of her way. It just kind of opened up that friendship right away. And it was someone that I could talk to because, you know, I'm not even going to bring up some of that stuff, but just some of the stuff that I was able to talk to her about. It was really refreshing to get another person's opinion because sometimes I'd be like, is it all in my head? Maybe I'm just overreacting and sometimes maybe I'm not. And she would be like, no, you're absolutely not overreacting in this situation. In most situations, I guess I'm more level-headed than I think. Or else she just always had my back. But I'd like to think that I I was doing the right things or it wasn't my fault in some of those situations or my my feelings were justified for the way some of these stupid events went down. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of really cool to see that. And then even with Ganey, I was able to do that because we were in the same senior NCOPE class. And we didn't talk at all during that. Yeah. Maintainer, comm squadron, there's like 12 maintainers in that class. So we all just stuck to ourselves for the most part. But then once we both sewed on or she hadn't even sewn on but she started going to the top three meetings too and just kind of talking to her more and more and more and then sharing those stories with each other of frustration or hey how would you handle this situation yep. so that was kind of cool yeah i read a, a book uh, i forget what it's called right but what you were saying reminded me of it is every single successful person they have three things someone that they're better than a student someone they're teaching so they have a student, someone they're teaching, so they can like remember the foundations, remember those basic things sure. and feel good that they are better than someone and they have something to offer. So they have that. So basically for us, airmen, uh, and then we also have people that we compete with, like peers. So for you, it's Sergeant State and Sergeant Gainey, like these people you trust, you care about that are peers to you, that they, they keep you level-headed when you're uncertain if you're doing the right thing. You compete with them because uh, we all compete. It's natural. I like you and I, I feel like we compete with each other with things. So you have that. So when, first you have people you teach, people you compete with so you stay sharp, and then you have these mentors, people that if you don't know the answer to things, you can just ask and figure it out. People that you know are better than you, Chief Guzman to say, like just sure. other chiefs, other seniors, maybe even other masters. But to have those three things, like that's what a successful person needs because that's how you stay sharp in, in going forward. It's those three things. And listening to you talk for, or us talking for almost two hours now, like oh. you have all three of those things. But I feel like, I don't know if you've ever just identified it, but now that you know that, it's just, I feel like everyone needs to do that. Just figure out who you're teaching, keep teaching them, because that'll help you, and they'll really appreciate it. You'll see them grow. Uh, Have your little peers that you compete with that you also trust, and then also have these people that you've deliberately told, you're my mentor, I really appreciate everything you do for me, and then to just always hit them up when you need, when you have questions or don't know what to do. Because just think of like, like my biggest stress as an airman or NCO is there's so many things that come up that I don't know how to do. If I just knew that I had that one person I could hit up and be like, how do I do this? And that they would, they already know they're better than me. I've told them they're better than me. That So they would just give me the answer without judging me or making me feel like an idiot or saying, go look it up. Yeah. Like to just have that. Like I don't worry about anything because I know anything that comes up. I might not know the answer immediately, but I'll figure it out by tomorrow. Like I'll have it. 
So I think those three things are really important. Oh, and it cool. sounds like, yeah, it sounds like you've got that with gaining and stating, at least the middle side. Yeah, I. those are definitely two of the people here that I had reached out to the most. It's been, yeah, the whole transition has been interesting, just going from, well, when I first got here, I was still a tech sergeant, no line number or anything, and I was just working the line. I was just one of the 55 ComNab troops at this base. No big deal. And then when the NCYC got ready to retire, he bequeathed me his job. So I was the NCYC for a little bit. A master job? Nope, still a tech sergeant oh. job. And then as soon as... He just gets to pick who replaces him? To an extent. Okay, nominate kind of. Yeah. There was a couple of us that he had in mind, but... I'd kind of already done the NCYC job on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. And the other person he was kind of interested in was also a flying crew chief. Okay. And then I had the seniority out of the two. So I ended up being first pick for that. And I only got to do that job for maybe two months before I did make master. And then I was a section chief taking care of 220, 240 specialists. It's a lot of humans. Yeah. So I had to learn how to change and how to grow into the role. I had been an NCO for so long. I sewed on staff in March of 2010, and then I didn't make master. And I sewed on in November of 2020. So I spent 10 years as an NCO, which is great. It gave me a lot of chances that I would have been got if I would have made tech even quicker or anything else. But Breaking out of that role, because that's the sweet spot. That's when you can be friends with everybody. You can still be friends with the airmen to an extent. It's okay to know everything about everybody. But when you make master sergeant, you have to leave that bubble behind. And that was really hard for me. And so to have other people's opinions and... What's the word I'm looking for? Opinions or practices on how they kind of handled some of those things was kind of good at times. And we'll see where the next couple of years take me. Yeah. It definitely, having other people's opinions, like, it doesn't hurt at worst. You just say, I'm not doing it that way. Yeah. Like, you can only get better. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to get worse. You can say no then. Yeah. Yes. For sure. Cool. Well, I rarely go through everything on my board, but I did this time. So if you got anything else before we end it. No, just thanks for having me. It was really cool because I watched Goose's three hour long one. I watched good parts. <laughs> watched of that it one. or listened to it? I watched it. Cause oh. I didn't know there was the, the listening option too. So yeah. I saw everything and I'll, I don't know if I'll watch this or not, but I'll listen to it for sure. I'm sure, sure my husband will at least. Cool. Hey Bob. But, yeah. Oh yeah. Hi Bob. <laughs> but I really appreciate you choosing me cause I've seen all the people and I've seen the list of the people you've had on this show. Yeah. So it's pretty, I feel honored to have a chance to come hang out with you for a bit. Sure. Well, you have an interesting story and you shared it and that's what this is about. And I had fun. I think that's actually the main reason I do it is talking to people, hearing your own voice. I think we just say cool, interesting things and you just like learn more. So I know I grew from this. Hopefully whoever listens does too. Uh, We'll talk Gunderson into doing a podcast on yours. And while we're on your podcast, one thing I did a podcast with her earlier this month, me, Scott Douglas, Brennan Geeslin, we call him goose and uh, Erica. And it was about air Leaders Academy. It was about 45 minutes to an hour long. And uh, so if anyone wants to hear that, us talking about the first ALA here at Fairchild, where exactly can people listen to that? So they can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. I didn't even know there was a Google podcast until I got this Pixel phone. (laughs) But it's just called Refuel Team Fairchild. And it's on all the listening devices. It's through Anchor FM. And we try and have, if people happen to listen to this and have ideas, I'm always interested in whatever people want to do. I was telling John earlier that we were looking at maybe doing 
a what I wish I would have known before I deployed because it wasn't on the checklist yeah. type thing. So whatever ideas you guys have, I actually just did my leadership philosophies. Oh. And so those will be coming out early next year. I'm going to be in, interviewing Chief Krizelnik, who's our AMC command chief. Mm-hmm. So whoever wants to be on it, maybe I can figure out a way to zoom in people and do interviews that way. I got to interview Chief Osby, who is the AFES senior enlisted leader. And he has interviewed everyone from P. Diddy to <laughs> everyone, like anyone famous that you can think of, he's probably gone to interview. And I know he hasn't been face to face with them. So maybe I'll reach out and figure out how to bring people online. Yeah. Because how cool is that? And I don't mean I have to interview famous people, but even people that are stationed in other places. How cool would that be? Yeah, that is cool. It's actually, I know we're, I was like closing, but I have <laughs> been asked, like suggested, hey, you should do virtual. Like you could get a lot, you could have a broader audience yeah. and like, some, there's some people I really admire and I would love to actually have this with them. It, and I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but there's just something about this, like looking at For you, sure. especially with, you're only the second person not drink with me, <laughs> which I'm not pressuring you, I but like, yeah, you're drinking water. Yeah. But there's something about this. And I feel like I do this cause it's fun. Not so much for like, or yours is partly work, but there's just something about like looking at someone and being around them to where like, I'm afraid of doing the virtual thing, but I have considered it. Uh, but I think for yours, it would be good because I would love to listen how, you know, like Chief Kruznick only has 30 minutes with you because he's only here for a short amount of time. But if you did a virtual, maybe you get General Minihan or longer time with That's Chief cool. Kruznick. So I think, yeah, for you, that would make a lot of sense. And if you use this, it's uh, really easy to set up. So Chief <laughs> Guzman, you should make her get one of these. Uh, I'm sure he'll be on the podcast and he'll say the same thing when he's on here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he said he'd do it. Like I said, uh, we were both at the Christmas party and I don't know if you remember. So I will... Ask him eventually, I'm sure, before he, he leaves in like July, doesn't he? Yeah, he doesn't leave till the summer. I'm, I guarantee you can get him on there. And if Senior Castleberry has time, I'm pretty sure he would do that. He absolutely jumped at the chance to do mine, which I thought maybe he wouldn't for oh. some reason. So, yeah, he did one of my five parts. Okay. One thing that Chief, I know we're dragging this out yeah. now, but one thing that <laughs> Chief Diedrich said on ALA uh-huh. was by the time you make senior NCO, you should kind of have your leadership philosophies or traits. And I was like, shit, I don't have mine. I know what I kind of value. But during ALA, over those next couple of weeks, Mm -hmm. I wrote down the things that were important to me. And I just chose words, kind of like they did. Well, before we close, are you willing to tell us what yours is? Yeah, so I have North America's Hacks. And it's humor, humility, accountability, connectedness, and kindness. So those are my five. And... I'll, I'll share the same thing I shared on my podcast. I, I'm guessing you've never seen Gilmore Girls. No. And that's totally okay. I'm surprised how many people actually haven't seen that show, both men and women. But <laughs> there's this one episode where they talk about what the plural version of cul-de-sac is. Do you know what it is? Cul-de-sacs. It's cul-de-sac. So no, cul-de-sac. And it, it's a huge thing on the show, too. So I figured if they can have cul-de-sac be that as the plural version... I can have hacks as my two H's, and then that's how I have North America's hacks. I like it. So, yeah. but yeah, those will be coming out. Uh, I have Gainey. Gainey's got a philosophy ready. Oh no no no! Oh. She came to talk on one of them. Senior Castleberry did. Tania Johnson, who's also going to yeah. be in ALA, and then Senior Watson, who I guess you met over in Korea. Yep. And. He'd be another good one to get on here, too. You should. He's he's hilarious. Yeah. He was my humor person. Okay. And then, oh, my gosh. Oh, I had Kreider and Klein do humility. Nice. The figure for shirts. Yeah. They probably know how to 
good choice. Yeah, especially after Chris's poor truck. I don't know if you've seen that. <laughs> he totaled it on Christmas Eve. Huh. So so thankful everybody's okay, but that poor truck. Hopefully he got a new one the next day. I'm hoping so. I can't <laughs> wait to see what he's driving next. It's got that big GMC. I don't know if you've seen it on uh, base. No. It was really cool looking, so maybe he'll get something else cool. Yeah, he should. But cool. Well, again, thank you so much, Erica, for being on here. I never said it until this moment. You maybe picked it up from her philosophy, but her name is Erica Nordum. Oh, yeah. So if you put a first name <laughs> last, last name first, it says North America, which is really cool being in the military where we do that. But anytime she signs in, it just says North America. It does. So I think that's really cool. She didn't take her husband's last name. I don't know if it was for that reason alone, but I think that's a cool reason. The main reason. Yeah. And he understood going into yeah, it. Yeah, I would too. Cool. Thank you so much again for being here. And uh, I guess we'll see each other tomorrow. Awesome. All right. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed the two hours with Erica and myself. Knowing Erica has enabled me to extend my local Spokane and Fairchild Air Force Base network and has set me up with future guests to have on my podcast. If you want to hear a 45-minute conversation between the initial cadre members of the Fairchild Air Power Leadership Academy, Erica's podcast can be found by searching Refuel Team Fairchild on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. When you're looking for it, the episode is dated 17 December 2021. Thanks for listening to Habitashi Podcast. This podcast is available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Anchor. Mm-hmm.